Hello and welcome to Stuff Said, the show where I, Greg Schiegel, a cartoonist, talk to people in the worlds of comics, cartooning, and beyond. This episode is filed under Beyond, or it will be filed under Beyond, or it should be filed under Beyond. Because in this episode, on a show about comics and cartooning, I'm talking to a comic. And by that I mean I'm talking to a comedian. In this case, the nationally headlighting... Headlighting? Headlining comedian, Jackie Cation. Jackie Cation is not only very funny, but reads comics. Is a comics reader and fan, and an enthusiast for a great many things in the, I guess what you'd call the nerd arenas. Sci-fi, fantasy, comics, video games, etc. So much so that she has her own podcast celebrating people's obsessions and nerddoms called the dork forest and the dork forest is a very entertaining show but maybe even more notable it has a theme song that might be catchier than the theme song to this show which is almost hard to believe but you check out the dork forest and you'll know what i'm talking about but don't do it yet listen to this show first so how how did this come to be how did this show about comics where I talk to writers and artists and people who make comics end up talking to an actual comedian. Well, I think she's funny. I know she likes comics. And I saw that she was going to be in my neck of the woods, so I reached out on Twitter, social media, and now here we are, a super awesome special episode of Stuff Said. Yay for the internet. Which... Really, as a as a internet-based show, I suppose every episode is yay for the internet. Now here, I've mentioned that this show is special for, what, twice, three times I've said it so far? Here's what makes this show special to me. I love comedy. I've, I've watched comedy for many, many years. I guess I would be a comedy nerd on some level. Possibly a comedy snob, but certainly in that arena and regular listeners of this show probably know that because you've heard me mention it a number of times, especially episodes like the one with Dave Roman, where we talk about stand up and sketch comedy and how it relates to us in comics. Uh, Brad Geiger's episode, he did stand up, so we talked about that. You know, he did it uh, briefly, but he did stand up, so I wanted to talk about it. And the most recent episode with Roger Langridge that came out last month, we talked about comedy and how it applies to comics and comedy in England, etc. And then you've possibly heard me talk in past episodes about my cartoonist to comedian kinship theory thing about how a comedian is one person on one microphone and a cartoonist is one person in one pen or pencil and that direct line of communication. Anyway, that stuff is stuff I think about and talk about a lot. So the opportunity to talk to a legitimate working comedian was an awesome one that I wanted to take a, a shot at. And Jackie agreed to have this conversation. I don't know that she knew what she was exactly getting into, but she agreed to it. And I got to indulge many of my curiosities and discover new ones as I prepped for the conversation. And before you think this is all comedy talk, we talk about comics too. I promise. Fables gets discussed. Ed Brubaker's name will pop up. You'll hear it. Don't 
don't think we're forgetting the comics aspect of this show. Uh, before we get to it, I want to tell just a, a short-ish funny story about the run-up to the recording of this show. So I mentioned I reached out to Jackie on, on Twitter, and she agreed to do the show, which is awesome because everything I just said uh, seconds ago. And leading up to the recording day, I what I like to do with my guests is I check in, I send an email, are we still on, this is the time, this is the place, etc., etc. And before we were meeting up, I had a cousin in town, and he and I were out late one night at a diner like you would see in the movies i was eating a slice of pie he was eating ice cream and i'm telling him that i have jackie cation coming and i'm going to talk to you for the podcast and it's cool and blah 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 no joke this is a hundred this is not a joke for all the talk we're going to do about comedy we're sitting there not five minutes later in walks into this diner walks jackie cation and is seated for real in the booth across from ours it was bananas uh i I introduced myself pleasantries were had we let her eat her soup my cousin and i continued to talk about whatever we were talking about and while that story has no bearing on what you're about to hear i thought it was very cool and wanted to share that because i think i don't know why not a little context that has nothing to do with what you're about to hear something else i want to share before we start is my book picks one weirdest weekend is available you can learn more about it and read the first chapter for free at pixcomic.com p-i-x-c-o-m-i-c.com you can also buy the book there or at your local comic shop or order it on amazon more on that after the conversation interview portion of the show including stick around a coupon code for that book which i'll talk about again more after what you're about to hear so with plenty more to say, but a lot of show ahead. It's a, it's a it's a meaty conversation. Let's get to this awesome, sometimes perhaps personally self-indulgent talk on my part. That was redundant. Personally self-indulgent on my part. That is a triple threat of redundancy. Here's that talk with Jackie Cation. Been recording. Oh, have we? Yeah. Oh, during right. the sound check. Right, right. Oh, okay. So I see. Much, a lot of that stuff will get lopped off. Right. If you could talk, take that thing out about me being barren. No. Yeah, that, that's gone. I mean, that ruins all the bits. Exactly. Just trying to set up a thing. So you came up to New York for PodFest. Yep. And you stay for the month. Right. I'm staying for, for three weeks. I usually just come... Podfest because of it's been three years of this podcast festival. Yeah, he it sort of generates when I come now. Okay, because I might as well tack on because I usually would just come for any given week to ten days, do a bunch of shows, and then keep going. Just go either go home or go on the road. And because he's picked these dates, I'm like, oh well, I should probably. And this year it was so close to New Year's that there was no will come early. So I just stayed later, and then I was like, "Well, fly all the way back to Los Angeles, and then go to Minneapolis." So I'm because ah. I'm 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 three weeks in New York, and then I'm on the road for a week to, in Minnesota, and then I go back to to L.A. Go back home. So the, I guess the first question I have about being in New York for three weeks, you're doing a bunch of shows, right? Like your calendar is stacked yeah. with shows, but none of them are traditional club shows no headlining dates none of those yeah you know what i didn't even ask um okay. i meant to ask 
but I I knew that I could get on sort of the cool kid shows. Right. And I like the cool kid shows kind of because some of the stuff I've been working on is so weird. And it's not that regular club audiences can't take it. It's just if I'm doing a 45-minute set and I'm also making a nickel because, you know, you do these shows in New York and you're going to make 25 to $50, whether I am headlining or not. Uh, so I might as well do 15 minutes yeah. and make 25 to $50 and do the weirdo new new bits I want to work on. So that's what you're here. You're here to work stuff out. Yeah, I'm here. Around. Yeah, it's 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 all the stuff that I've been doing for the last year and a half that's tightened up that's fun for me. Sort of my favorite 15 minutes. And then I have a new a new eight that I'm working on that's fun. So is that favorite 15 stuff from Horcrux? Yeah, well, there's, okay. there's, yeah, there's probably, yeah, there's 12 minutes that I love from Horcrux that I will do <laughs> for the next three years, whether anybody wants to hear it, and, and whether they've listened to it or not. But it's, you know, it's that whole, um, it's the reading chunk. Yeah. It's the reading chunk and the 98% of all men are not rapists. Yeah. That's fun for me. Those are, those are two of my favorite bits. And then I've got my weird sexual healing bit too, which is. Which about, is, I heard for the first time at last year's. Podcast. You did oh, a, right. a com it was a stand up show. You, Eddie Pepitone, oh, right. Mike Kaplan, uh who else was Dave Hill and a Oh, that was a hell of a show too. I was surprised you didn't do another stand up show, but so was I. I was looking yeah. forward to the where yeah. the stand up show was gonna be. Uh that was a fun show. And you 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 did that bit and the jokes, you know, the three types of jokes about women oh, right, which right. was hilarious. Thank you. Thank uh, you very much. It's it's how I it's how I know how to be a wife <laughs> is because guys have been joking about their wives for thirty years and I'm like, Oh well I don't want to be that kind of wife. It's so it's and great. So jokes that guys will tell about their wives sometimes they're funny sometimes they are not but do not kid yourself they are the same three jokes yeah joke number one once you get married women stop having sex with you man it's the way it goes it's the way it goes uh joke number two uh once you get married women spend all your money man it's the way it goes it's the way it goes uh joke number three bitches man am i right bitches yeah so so that was a year ago, roughly. Yeah. From the and recording. And I tape recorded. I, I recorded and filmed. This will make an excellent Horcrux. Last December. Okay. Um, December of 2013. Got it. And it released in March. Got it. Or April, something like that. And then, so, as soon as you record something, you fix those bits. As soon sure. as you, as soon as that is etched in steel. You have you have created some sort of tablet. I'm sure God to Moses was like, oh, the wording. And uh, <laughs> as soon as he made the tablet. Well, let's, I'm going to jump right to that then. I'm going to dive deep mm -hmm. before I even get to writing bits and coming up with stuff to right. that to what you just said in terms yeah. of the wording and then changing it and that sort of thing. I, I listened to all three of the albums that are available to listen to. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I found differences oh, in between between the albums. And I'm curious as to why the differences. Right. So um, I know I know it's like, you know, you're not supposed to analyze why something's funny. So we're not doing that. No, no. It's I'm just, just the, 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 the wording changes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is when you write the joke, the first time it works, the second time it doesn't work, and then you spend a month working on how it should be said. And that's, I'm actually supposed to be, knock on wood, doing Conan in February. And he liked, he likes the material. You know, I sent him a, an audio clip of, of the joke, something you're doing. And he was like, yes, those are great. Not Conan, the guy who books it. Sure. And he said, but that, that first bit needs to be tightened up just because there's a lot. I guess if you watch me do a new bit, you'll hear me say, here's the thing <laughs> about 
a dozen times because I'm trying to get to the next punchline, yeah. trying to get to the next sentence, but I forget what it is, so I reboot myself with here's the thing. So here's the it, thing is your um or is, uh or yes, have you. Yes, okay. and it's it's very it can be maddening. <laughs> and especially now that I've pointed it out. Everyone should be aware. Well, I will cut all the hear the things out oh, nice. of this conversation. That's right. So nobody will know. No one will ever know. They'll never know what the I'm thing is. I'm working on new stuff. They'll never know what the thing is. <laughs> the so, thing. We'll get right to it. On circus people. Right. On, especially circus people to bread. Yes. Because, because there are jokes I did again. I have a couple of examples. Yes. So the first one I want to talk about is the bit about animals. So oh, in, right, right. In the first new dog version, and new, yeah, yeah. it's $3,000 for a new dog's hip. Mm-hmm. $3,000 equals 3,000 dogs. Oh, was it dogs in the original? Yeah. In L.A., I swear, some woman paid $3,000, a friend of mine, uh, paid three grand to replace the hip on her dog. You know what, 3,000 3, new dogs. How about that? That's $3,000. And then it was cats. So in then the it reboot. becomes three thousand dollars worth of cat diabetes medication. Yeah. Three thousand dollars equals three thousand cats. Mm-hmm. They're free people. Like you added that tag. Right. I have a friend of mine who has a cat that is twenty-one years old, and in addition to the plethora of other issues going on with this cat, it now has diabetes, and so she has to shoot it up twice a day. You know what that is? Time for a new cat. <laughs> you know, a cat twice a day. Why do you get a cat? So you don't have to do anything. That's why you get a cat. Because it poops in a box. $3,000 for diabetic cat medicine for this cat. You know what that is? That is 3,000 new cats. Because cats are free. And then you go into the dog bit. You talk about the dog's hip. Right. So I'm curious how that happens. Well, I don't write. Like some people write. They sit down, pen, paper. There's a spreadsheet. God knows what they're doing. Joan Rivers had some sort of weirdo card She's catalog. Got the card catalog. Yeah, I yeah. saw the I saw the documentary. It looked like so much work. God love her. Anyway, but I I write I tend to write on stage. Okay, so you're I, like Mark Maron or Jen Kirkman who goes up there and just starts going. Right. What I have is I have a premise. Yeah. And I have I have a paragraph <laughs> that I've written in a notebook, and then I go on stage and I riff off of that paragraph, and I have let's say one punchline. There's a new bit that I'm doing that's very long. And it actually is just starting to really come together. I'm very proud of it. Uh, I had one punchline. First four times I did it. There's another bit. It's an eight-minute bit about my dad. And for the love of anything, I cannot find any punchlines in it. But I think it's hilarious. Interesting. And it's what it is. It's mostly just one, like, and I'm tightening up the stories and tightening up the stories. Because it's just a, it's a litany of things. It's a list of how my father's a terrible role model, <laughs> but he means well in the fact that hes it's the only way he can be a role model. Sure. He wants to be a role model, just doesn't realize, like, the first sentence he always says is great. The second sentence is madness. <laughs> the first sentence is, you can be whatever you want in life. The second sentence is, people forget that Jesus started out with 12 followers. <laughs> Anyone could get 12 followers. And you're like, what are you saying? Like, you can do whatever you want in life is a beautiful thing to tell a child. Sure. The next sentence is, as long as they don't catch you, that's insanity. That's hilarious. <laughs> and there's no... <laughs> so now, what defines for you, we're, gonna, we're all over the map, yeah. but what, what, is, what makes something a punchline and what makes something just funny? Right. That, uh, that is an excellent question because the punchline, it feels like it's a construct. The punchline feels like it's a twist 
It's something that I've written because I could get up and I do. Oh, don't think I don't get up and just repeat the hilarity of what everyone around me says. Yeah. And that could be my act. And that is a perfectly good act. Quite, quite honestly, people love stories and people love the commonality of hearing, oh, my grandmother is completely out of her mind as well. And I love her anyway, too. Right. And so, which is the premise of many of my stories, right? Is I'm telling a story about people that I wouldn't like if I weren't related to them. Sure. If I didn't have to hang out with these people, unconditional love is one of the craziest theories. I've tried to write a bit about it because it feels enormously conditional. Uh, <laughs> the condition being, we have to hang out. Yeah, you're I have related. a cousin. I wouldn't. I would if I saw her on the other side of the street. I would cross. I would. <laughs> I would run. She is that boring and that incredibly needy and weird. Right. But uh, once every couple of years, I see her and I'm like, "You are a very, you, your heart's in the heart full of love." Right. Anyway, so. The, the writing of the punchline, like the, the bit I'm working on, the first punchline, it's essentially about how I overheard in a coffee shop. And so I extrapolate on the, the, when it began, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll get a, the situation will happen. I will hear in a coffee shop, a woman say to another woman, why is it so hard for me to have a baby? Okay. Well, you were clearly in your late forties, <laughs> and so now that's not a punchline. That's, that's just not an a, observation. That's funny. that is a, just an observation. Okay. That is punchline. The punchline that I have come up with that is the short answer, of course, is science. Right. Because and that is a punchline. I don't know why that makes it more. <laughs> it's just a better punchline. Sure. And then the long the long answer gets into one of my favorite parts of all jokes right now, which is how do I make it personal. How do I make it about me? How? Let's get back to the important person on the stage. And, uh, <laughs> the spotlight is on you. <laughs> right. I yeah. do have the microphone. So, And so I speak to essentially how I've, I haven't wanted children ever. And then how recently I was interested in sort of having a child just because I had a husband. I have a husband <laughs> who genetically, for some reason, I was interested in replicating that. Just because of how much I like him. Sure. It was a, the one of the weirdest scientific, and this isn't even part of the joke, this is an actual con confusing, awesome realization that I had, which was, I'm actually interested in having one of those in tiny form. That'd be awesome. And how it's unlikely, because I too, late 40s here, so the only punchline I had come up with going into all of that was that my husband and I are not what Jeff Goldblum was thinking when he said life finds a way. In Jurassic, Which is Park. Jurassic Park, yes, sure, and uh, and that is a funny reference. It's a funny, you know, it speaks to our ages and these sure. things. And so I can make a joke about his balls. I can make a joke about my egg production, all the way leading up to all this stuff. But Jurassic Park, dinosaurs, dinosaurs reference. That's all tag stuff, though. Yeah. Now I've once right, you've right. introduced, you got to introduce Jurassic Park before you go further. Of course. Talk to Dan Telfer. He's got 10 minutes on dinosaurs, that guy. Does he? Yeah, to the point where you're about four minutes in and you think to yourself, is he really still talking about dinosaurs? <laughs> yes, he is. Crazy I mean, talk. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot to dinosaurs. There's a there's lot. so to, many different dinosaurs. That is exactly one of his points, if I am correct. <laughs> I'll have to listen to the bit. Mm -hmm. So we spun all around. Right. But we'll get back to, and there's other bits I want to talk about. But Okay. So is it that... The reaction to, like, did you come up with, well, cats are free. 
can I make cats part of the joke and, and swap dogs out? Right. It's it's all organic on stage. It's uh, as I tell the joke, the diabetic cat thing happened right when I was writing that joke. Weirdly enough. Okay. My friend Anna Becker has a cat uh, who has since passed. Very sad who she was spending $3,000 a year on diabetic cat medicine. And she, by the way, wrote the meow meow punchline, which is the button on that joke. And gets a huge laugh. The biggest response. Yeah. She, Anna Becker, why? Why is she just in Austin breeding instead of writing comedy? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, but that she was so funny because she loved that. Her love of that cat. She, when the cat, when she had the cat, she had a one-bedroom apartment. The cat was alive. The cat lived with her. She and the cat lived. She had four pictures of the cat. In the one-bedroom apartment where the cat lived. <laughs> of course. That's insane. There's the cat's right fucking there. Yeah. Just go look at the goddamn... Anyway. <laughs> it was one of the... And I love animals. <laughs> I sound like a crazy person. But it's just four pictures. It's a one-bedroom. It's a box attached to another box. There's probably even a mirror. So the cat could see itself. You could pick that cat up, hold yeah. you both in the mirror, maybe take a little selfie. You and Remo, oh Remo, and Remo, beautiful <laughs> cat. And uh, as she, if she were here today, Anna Becker but, would say. But Anna Becker never went so far as to get a second cat to keep that cat company. She has since had cats. None of them are as great as that cat. Of course. That one cat was the cat of her dreams. It was the cat of her life, the love of her life. I don't know that she will ever love a cat the way she loved Remo. I just I always find that there are cat people who get the cat because it's you know cats yeah. they're independent and then they get a second cat to keep that cat company and I think right? that's batty. That well, it's a lot and <laughs> uh, it's my one of my remember the the short lived and very mediocre sitcom Dharma and Greg. I do. First I don't know. Season was was that actually... short lived? It was only about three seasons. Oh, okay. It feels like it never went away. Right. It, it's indelibly marked <laughs> yeah. in my brain. But she was Dharma. And her dog, she got her dog a dog. Like, this is my dog and this is my dog's dog. Right. And that was a very funny running joke. Uh, probably the only funny running joke on that sitcom. It was but too bad. But she was like loosey-goosey and he was high-strung. It was the odd couple. <laughs> it, was... it was wacky. <laughs> And their parents? I mean, right? come on. Come on. Each of their parents were so weird. Oh, my goodness. It was like the Gilmore Girls, but 22 minutes. Anyway, but I I do write on stage, and so the, the joke changes, and you come up with a line in the moment that you're like, well, that changes the joke fundamentally. And the current joke that's that's finally tightened up and done that is this story about going to the Indian casino with my husband and it's not on Horcrux and it's, it's kind of nice to not do some of that stuff as much as I loved some of that, those jokes. And I, and I am not the kind of comic who, who won't go to the vault. Right. I am more than willing to do a joke from 1997. If I am in any situation where I am uncomfortable, <laughs> I am like, I refuse to be uncomfortable for my art. Uh, do you need to be, you need to laugh. I am here to create that situation for it's you. Job. So sure. I will go and find the joke of your dreams and <laughs> do what I can. But I don't, having said that, I will do a joke from 1997, but I will also insist on doing a joke that hasn't worked in four years and I will insist on working on it. There was a joke I wrote. I didn't even write this joke. It was a friend of mine wrote this joke, and he said, it's never going to work. And I said, I love that joke. Can I have that joke? And he said, yes. And um, Is this a Liberia joke? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I listened to the albums. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it wasn't the Liberia oh, it joke. Wasn't. It was the Mall of America joke. The, okay. the Liberia joke was my joke. Okay. The Liberia joke was a joke that I wrote not knowing... <laughs> Because I would never that that because I say on the album that I would never write a joke that no one would purposely get not get. Right. I have one joke that never works, and I'm thinking of putting it on as a bonus track. What the hell? <laughs> you know what it is? It's a joke that people hate. And I here's the thing: I would never write a joke on purpose that no one would get. I am not an asshole. <laughs> Here is the thing: I have accidentally written a joke that nobody's gotten, and it's not my fault. It's not my. It's, here's the thing. I like when I, I wrote this one joke. It's uh, about the Mall of America. That it's a better name than the Mall of Yugoslavia, for example, <laughs> which would just be uh, five big anchor stores fighting for ethnic superiority. Um, <laughs> it's just a weird political joke, right? But here's, uh, but here's one to get this joke. To get the following joke, all you have to know is a little basic history of the country of Liberia, <laughs> and be against the Monroe Doctrine. Here we go. <laughs> Just the founding of Liberia? You can do it. Here we go. Um, I know that we're freeing Iraq because they have our oil. But are we freeing Liberia because we want our slaves back? Oh. Founded by freed American slaves in 1842. But the Mall of America joke, the war in Bosnia was over before I got that joke to work. And I still did that joke for three years because I finally got the wording right. I'm trying to remember what it is. The Mall of America is a is a... The giant mall in, in, Minneapolis, in Minneapolis is where I am a Minneapolis comic originally. So I, when it was first built, it was the 90s, and um, everybody had a joke about the name. And the joke that I did, and I finally got to work, and it was really long when John did it, John McCloud, uh, Atlantic sketch guy. All right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> see, how does it go? Okay, it's the Mall of America is a, is a weird name. To some extent. But it's a much better name than the Mall of Yugoslavia, which would just be five anchor stores fighting for ethnic superiority. Five anchor stores fighting for ethnic superiority took me three years to get the wording <laughs> on that. Yugoslavia was gone. There is no Yugoslavia right. <laughs> when I started writing that joke. But the first time he said it, he, he it was a it was a long thing that and I was like, Oh, that's a great joke. That's gonna be great. And he was like, I'm never doing it again. And I was like, No, no. You're going to do that again. And he said, nope. Do you want it? And I said, yes. And then uh, I worked on it for three years, and I put it on an album, clearly. <laughs> and Because uh, I don't care. Because I will I will go. I'll do a dick joke. I'll do – I'll step and fetch it. I will shuck and jive to make the people laugh. But I will also do some of my set for me. Right. And I think that that's really important, that, that for me anyway, to do to be both of those kinds of comics. When you, are, when you do a joke for you, mm -hmm. so uh, – uh, uh, what is, what's the tapping mana? Yeah, the mana which, tapping joke. Right, yeah. which is a reference to Magic the Gathering. Yes. Which I've never played, but I've heard that expression enough. Okay. That I was like, wait, that's something familiar. And then you follow it up and say, yeah, I'll do a Magic the Gathering joke. My impression right. of 98% of the men on this planet trying to get laid is, did you want to have sex? No, that's all right. Did you want to have sex? No, that's okay. Did you want to have sex? You sure? And it goes like that forever. <laughs> Until someone says, yes, yes, I will have sex with you. And then you tap that mana. You just tap it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Dorks, well played. All right. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. 
little Magic the Gathering joke right there. It's good times. <laughs> Who doesn't love a little green manna? Guy in the hat does. Bearded youth movement dude likes it. Which will reveal to nine more people. <laughs> the four people that got it are psyched. Right. The nine people afterwards are like, oh, okay. So and then the others are like, whatever. So something in comics, to talk something about yeah. comics. My friend Chris Jeruso, who does a book called G-Man over okay. at Image Comics, and I, we talk about this stuff all the time because he writes funny comics. Okay. And he is always trying to make sure that whatever you need for the joke to work is in the joke. Okay. In, the, in sort of the setup. Or... In the setup, yeah. So you don't need any outside information to understand what's funny about what just happened. Yes. In the in the context of you know the four panels that yeah. deliver this joke. That's shrewd. <laughs> do, do you worry that if you're going to drop in a reference to Magic Gathering or a Horcrux? Or Liberia. Or Liberia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something, something in the world yeah. that people might know. Clearly, that's not as much of a concern to you because you'll either follow it up or you're doing jokes for you. I'll either the Liberia joke I set it up right no that one I mentioned the Monroe Doctrine that works very clearly (laughs) I mean I went to high school I know the the reference right but it but and when I set it up I jog your memory with those things yes which I think is what he's doing in those panels sure because he doesn't he doesn't not want you to get the joke because everybody wants to give you the information you need so that when the the tool bag comic who does a reference. The, and then look superior at you because you didn't get it. That's a that I don't know who that Dennis Miller. <laughs> Dennis Miller at his that's, worst. That's the name I thought of. Right sure. at his worst. At his best, he was a man who celebrated that the obscure weird reference, a goofy goofy dude. And at his worst, he is a just a weird homophobic uh, right wing weirdo, and and a tool bag for not setting up a joke correctly because there are comics there there are some comics too who also like to run off lists and you'll get an applause break if you say many words very quickly in a row sure uh because the audience oh look what they memorized congratulations and i mean george carlin certainly did it to to great effect jerry seinfeld does it to a certain degree Okay. I've noticed he'd, he'll go. He'll do a run. Are you talking? Uh, yeah, the run is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Not, not the list like Carlin's list. No, list. I'm saying like a run, like it just, yeah. it sort of just, just a, starts but it, rolling but it, but on it, itself. It, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that that's fine if there's punchlines in there, or there's a punchline in the beginning or the end, or I'm giving examples of great comics who are doing who yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. And and Erin Foley does it. I okay. don't know if you know her. I know of her. I don't know her material super right. well. She tends to do a. a she loves a list herself, <laughs> but there's always a punchline at the end of it. There's a, there's usually a setup at the beginning of it, and sometimes in the middle of the list she'll weed off and give you a punchline, which is so that's what I like. Right. And and it, but we've we've left uh, your buddy at, at Image. It's, um, it's, it's is he Archie funny? No, I'm he's funnier. He's funnier. Than yeah, Archie. of course he is. Yes, yes. Have you read Afterlife with Archie? I read the first issue of Afterlife with Archie, and while it's very good, it's not what I want from an Archie comic. Oh right. So. I've never wanted anything from an Archie comic, so I was perfect for it. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I loved Life with Archie, which was this, the comic series where it followed his married life to Betty and Veronica. Right. And that was great. Okay, I did not read that. Yeah, that was good stuff. Was that, that was, everything you wanted in an Archie comic? Kind it was. It was that the and closure? more. Because it was to me, it was if Archie comics is Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. Afterlife with Archie was MTV. Okay. So they were older. They were dealing with stuff. Okay. You know, yeah. Archie lost his job, whatever. There was like a certain amount of drama to it, but it right. was still, there was a heart and sort of that Archie innocence yeah. sort of underneath it all. So you felt like you were reading an Archie comic. Okay. Did for, you, um, people. 
did you listen to the episode of the Dork Forest with Robert Hack? I've not listened to that one yet. Because he did the covers for uh, for Afterlife with Archie and Some Life with Archie. Did he? Yeah. I'm writing it down. Robert Hack, H-A-C-K, and he's great. He also did a couple of Doctor Who. Robert Hack. His episode was a Doctor Who episode. Every time you say Robert Hack, I think Robert Stack, Ooh. which is a different person. Entirely. <laughs> Robert Hack. <laughs> very funny. Robert Stack, very talented as well. He's uh, America's Most Wanted, right? Yeah. Robert he's a, yeah. yeah. I know he's an actor, but... Right. He, I know he wants to think guy. of himself as a crime solver yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. McGruff in human form. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to another bit. Okay. You do the bit about marrying the nerdy guy. The game designer. Yeah. The, yeah. But just in general, like, hey, okay. marry somebody that's home. Oh, right. That They'll guy. be home. Yeah. So in the first time you did it on Circus People... You used the word nerdy guy, which you didn't use again when you did it on bread. Right. And then your the tag on that one is they put out just like regular men. Oh, right. I recommend, I recommend you get yourself a guy who plays video games, who reads comic books, who collects action figures. Get that guy. Go out with that guy. Do you know why? That guy is home. <laughs> that guy has a curio shelf, and he's got to organize his action figures. They put out, just like regular men. And then you lose that yep. and replace it with keeps him off the pipe, keeps him keeps off, the, him pole. off the pole. Right. And I recommend that you go out with a guy who plays video games, who collects action figures, who reads comic books. Go out with that guy. Marry that guy. You know why? Because that guy is home. Like right now, dude is around. He has got a curio shelf and he's got to organize his action figures. Keeps them off the pipe, keeps them off the pole. Come on. So how does that happen? Well, the... the Are these the nerdiest the, questions you've ever been asked? Well, they're <laughs> incredibly specific. <laughs> about the Essentially about the... The path of a joke. The path of a joke is so arbitrary sometimes. Yeah. And that joke, there's the story with that one is that to say they put out like regular guys, that is kind of an easy punchline. Okay. Keeps them off the pipe, keeps them off the pole. Not genius writing, but slightly better, right? Makes you think a little bit. A little bit past, more. Right. Yeah. yeah, you have to actually there's a, <laughs> rub your brain cells together at some point. And the... It the also plays with the, with the gender role right. on that one. Right. It's a nice flip yeah. on it, and it's it's good. But the weird thing is about that joke is I did that joke on Conan last February, and they they cut it as a clip of how nerdy guys are home. They're just around. That's why you want to marry them. And the, I'd never thought of it, but that is what the joke is. And I don't mean it that way. I mean that we're both home. Right. I mean, I'm like, well, I'm home. I'm clearly, this is, <laughs> this is around. This is not also on the pipe or the pole. Uh, so let's, <laughs> let's play a video game or a board game and right. roll around like puppies. So, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. It, all it is is, when, is iteration. You know, you, do a, you say the joke over and over and over again. And I do a lot of shows sure. per year that, and if I like a joke and that, that was a fun one, it'll tighten itself up with or without my consent and the words will change and hopefully for the better. And usually for the better, though, I have had people remind me of jokes that I haven't done in a thousand generations. You know, the chain to the wallet joke? No. Remember that? I think it's on circus people. 
I, it might be on cake, which is the. It might be on cake, which is the one you can't find. Yeah, that one I printed. I yeah. edited that myself. <laughs> Shareware. Uh, Gold Wave. I don't know if you're familiar with the program. I, Gold I'm Wave. Not. It was free, and uh, and it was not even audacity quality. So, um, <laughs> but the chain to the wallet joke. I think I did it on my premium blend episode, okay. and it was essentially. I wrote it when my nephew was 19. My nephew is currently, I think, 35, and I still pull that joke out of the vault Did just he have a because chain? he had a chain to the wallet, yeah. and and it was no job, no driver's license, <laughs> and I believe the punchline was not not even a condom. Oh wait, a condom because hope springs eternal, and because uh, he's a nice kid, and uh, and then he he wanted to get his face pierced. That's how old the joke is because it was in the early 90s and or the mid-90s when you still wanted to get your face pierced. Right. And I told him to get his face pierced and run a chain to all the different places on his face and then to his wallet so that if anyone ever tries to steal his wallet, they have to rip off his face. And then when they find his wallet, they'll know who to return it to. Of course. There you nice. go. So it's all taggy. It's taggy, but it's a good joke. And That is definitely probably on cake because I don't – it doesn't nothing. occur it's to not, me. Yeah, yeah. So we talked a little bit – about writing on stage. I'm going to go off of specific bits and go back to the writing thing. Because okay. I, I also heard you were on Nerdist. Yeah. And you talked about how you and Maria Bamford go back and forth and work out bits. Yeah. Which I guess is another part of the writing process. And I, it's, it's all curious to me because in comics, people have different approaches to writing. So the way I write, since I write and draw my own material, yeah, I start with thumbnails. I just start drawing little boxes yeah. and little panels in the boxes and just start sort of, you know, roughing out dialogue and posing and that sort of thing. Do you do the dialogue to the side of the box? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or or sometimes, you know, depending how large I'm drawing. Yeah. But it might just be notes along the side like this happens, this happens, this happens. And I start drawing right. figures. And then I start putting in dialogue later. Other people will write a full script. Yeah. With, and describing the panels and what happens. And that's people who are drawing for themselves. Right. That happens. Oh, weird. Yeah. I know, uh, I think, and I don't think I'm speaking like, do you think Brubaker? No, because he doesn't draw his own stuff. He's got to write a script. He's writing a script. He has to write a script. Yeah, but like Scotty Young, okay. who, who did five issues of Rocket Raccoon, where he drew them. Yeah. As I understand it, from what he told me, he was writing a full script first. And then going to And it. then drawing. Which seems crazy to me, though, because... It's, it's you're doing it twice. Yeah, you're, you're doubling up on yourself. But just imagine how, how much better it was. Because when you think about the first draft, uh, like I just did the Risk storytelling show. Yes. And Kevin Allison wants you to tell him your story so that he can give you notes as a comedian i don't want his notes i don't want his goddamn notes <laughs> i want you're not paying me uh why don't i tell my story and it's gonna be fine yeah because i want to do his show because it's always fun i i write out the story and then i send it to him the notes are always good the notes are always and there's always I always do a second. It, it it creates a second or third draft of something that I would not have possibly have done. Sure. Because with storytelling shows, I only do it's one and done. I don't yeah, usually yeah. don't do them again. So I would think Scotty Young, how great! Like he wrote the script. He probably changed it when he drew it. Well, I could only imagine since it was a Marvel book, an editor probably looked at it. I mean, there's probably As a well. process involved yeah, sure. where somebody else had to see it. Whereas the thing I did that I published myself. It's all you. I did it myself. I showed it to my peers, you know, a small group of people. Mm -hmm. I got some feedback. This works. This doesn't. Go in and start tweaking it. Right. But even so, the layout is there. Like, I'm not – it condenses all the steps for me who's writing in pictures to sort of get to that point faster. Right. So that I can make the changes at That's that point. As, as somebody who's writing and drawing his own material, it's a shorter distance between getting to that final product. Yeah. So it's just interesting that different people have different approaches. 
some people are doing all the dialogue up front, some people are whatever in comics. Right. So again, we mentioned it before, there are certain comedians who are writing things out. Right. You know, there's that documentary comedian with Jerry Seinfeld and right. Orny Adams. And like clearly Jerry Seinfeld is sitting there and thinking of the word and saying it over and over in his head without, without even an audience there to right. refine this joke. Right. I can only imagine Stephen Wright. It's not dissimilar. Right. Wait. Yeah, I, I can't you know, imagine. Condensing the joke. Right, right. Just completely just iteration. I mean, it's all iteration with all this stuff. I wonder, because there are comics who practice. Maria practices her her hour before she goes on stage. To she nobody? She likes to run it. Yeah. Huh. If she can get somebody to listen, <laughs> she'll do it. And... And we'll and we'll go back and forth and and run bits. But what her favorite thing is to just and it isn't her favorite thing. It's a pain in the ass, but it really helps. It's it's rehearsal. I do not. <laughs> I am like okay. Why don't I write a set list? And that's the most prep I'll usually do is I'll write a set list. And if I don't write a set list, sometimes sometimes it's obvious that I haven't and I should have. It's it's always better if I do. If I plan if I plan my show, it's always going to go better. But I sometimes I've been doing so much so, so many sets of the same length that you don't know what you want to work on. Like last night I did Wyatt's and Act show and I was to do 12 minutes and I am running this 5 minute set that I'm working on and then I had another 7 minutes. And I wanted to work on the the baby thing. But I also want to work on that dad thing that isn't working. Right. And I also, I think I have, oh, and I also have this other dad thing about how he almost died and how we deal with grief. And these are, these are really funny topics. Yeah, yeah, the light the, stuff. Yeah, 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 I have the light stuff. Let's do a nice chunk about that grief. So when you have those seven minutes, do you parse it into... I should well. What I'm saying is, I should have picked before I got on okay, stage. I gotcha. I got on stage, and the one that's almost done is the is the baby thing. So I just launched into that because it was easier than sure. trying to organize my thoughts. But tonight I have two shows, and I I I have to run that five because I I really do need to tighten that up. But it's I really love those other two bits. I gotta get those. I gotta because there's there's something there. That's the only rule of joke machine, by the way. Whether I'm doing it with I do it I I do regular joke machine with Maureen Bamford, Aaron Foley, and a guy named Augie Smith. Okay. And Augie and Smith. Joke machine is where you go back and forth. And yeah, joke machine okay. is back and forth. And the only rule of joke machine is you can't say why would you joke about that. Okay. Why? That, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's anything there. Yeah, never That's shut someone the down. Worst. <laughs> you know, even if you can't hear where it's going, you can pick a direction. You know, if you don't know what the hell it's about. You can sort of pick a direction for them and go, well, that's interesting. I also do it with Mary Mack and okay. Tim Tim Harmston. But it's nice because it, it generates sort of stories about, well, it made me think, well, how did you deal with that as you were a kid? And how was this type of thing? And then Maria and I will sometimes give each other writing assignments if if you're desperate and you have nothing. Because <laughs> you know how you write and then there's a plateau. Yeah. And you can't think of anything. So... Uh, she called me probably, it was probably two years ago and she was like, I have nothing. I have nothing. I have nothing to write about. I don't know anything. And I said, and I'd read in some self-help book to, to deal with um, emotional problems in your life, break your life into five year chunks. Okay. And I said, so write a joke based on the first five years of your life. 
write a joke based on the second five years of your life. And then I said, and do that for 40 years and uh, see what you find. Hmm. And it's at least, you know, it's six. It should give you six premises. If you have a memory right. from when you were three, if you have a memory from when you were nine. Right. right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I understand that process because I know I've been writing things. You sort of reach a point where you're like, all right, I've set up these characters in this situation. Yeah. And I know I want them to get to this point on the other side, but how do I get through yeah, the obstacles you, I've set you, up? Right. I mean, when you write fiction, yeah. do you have, do you outline it? Do you know how it ends? I like to. You like to know I how it starts and ends? Yeah. I like to know where I'm going. A lot of people don't worry so much about that. Okay. I like to know where the story's going so that I can get things there and set things up along the way. Yeah. So, like, just yesterday, I, was, I wrote a beat sheet, like, page by page of what a SpongeBob story I'm pitching. Okay. Uh, and that has to have jokes in it in right. addition to a plot. Yeah. So that one I knew. What's in it, that one I, I thought I knew what the ending was. And then when mm-hmm. I got to the ending, it had changed. Okay. But I kind of still knew where I wanted to go. Right. I, I would prefer to know, like, because I don't write fiction. I read a great deal of fiction. And one of the most maddening things that is when you watch something and you're like, Oh, they don't know how this ends either. <laughs> I'm going to kill them. If I'm ever in a room with, I don't know, the creators of the X-Files, for example. Right. Or Twin Peaks. You're like, you don't know where this is going either. I'm going to bury you head first and cover your feet with honey. I actually just asked somebody who knows a writer on Jane the Virgin. Yeah. Which I don't know if you've watched that show. No. But it's really quite good. Oh, good. Uh, and they've set up this mystery on that show of who is this one, like this villain nobody's seen, a drug lord. Mm-hmm. And I, he knew somebody that writes this. This friend of mine knows somebody that writes for the show. So I asked him, like, could you ask them if they know who this is and when they knew? Because I'm watching this show and I want to know if they're know making it up. Closure. And apparently before they started writing episode one, they knew who this person was. I need that. Yeah. That's it makes fine. Me, it satisfies me t- so right. much to when know that's I don't, coming. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like in Firefly. Uh, Which I watched the first episode of. And Joss it, Whedon? Yeah, I felt it wasn't for me, but continue. It didn't grab you. It didn't okay. grab me. Now, the first ep- when you say the first episode, did you watch uh, the I mean, train the episode? Oh, you saw the pilot? Yeah. They yeah. The, you know, the they, didn't even, they, they didn't air the pilot first. Oh, okay. Of course not. Uh, because uh, it doesn't grab you. Because it's the it's the one in Serenity Valley, right? It was the it was a war. It was a long time. It was when it, it was, aired. It was a shoot-up. Okay. Like whenever when it was on TV. Picture, if you will. Um, a boat on a river. A boat on a river. Yeah. And Han Solo is uh, Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> and he's played by Nathan Fillion. Yeah. Everybody and loves Nathan Fillion. Everyone does love him. And yeah. he's adorable and it's fine. And he seems like a decent enough person on Twitter too, which is nice. Sure. And uh, so, but I do think the great thing about Firefly was that there's only 14 episodes and they canceled it. Yeah. When the fan base got Joss Whedon a movie, Serenity. Right. He just did the end of the show. Right, right. And he had an end. And he introduces very early in the in the program these reavers, which are supposedly these sort of like crazy people. People have gone mad out on the edge of the universe. And they're just people that have gone feral. And in the movie Serenity, he gives us closure as to what happened to those people, wh- why those people are like that, and what the hell is up with that. And it's awesome. Because... He knew when he wrote episode three what the Reavers were. Or he figured it out in the following six years and thank you, God. Right. But it's it's important to me because fiction, I would love to write fiction. Better yet, I would have loved to have written fiction. Writing fiction seems to be a lot of work. 
<laughs> it is, except for the fact that depending on the type of fiction you're writing, and I'm, I'm not saying this is any sort of authority. I've written a, a handful of things, but right. you're kind of making it up. <laughs> so, so like, you know, I've, so it could be anything. Yeah, I remember talking to somebody about Fantastic Four stories, like writing a Fantastic Four. So I'm like, well, you know, Reed Richards can just figure it out, right? And you can make that science up because it's Reed Richards, right? He's he's his superpower <laughs> is science. Yeah, so you can yeah. just sort of write up a, a make believe ending, right? And he invents a thing. Did you ever read Red Shirts, Jonathan Scalazzi? I, think I have his not. Name. It is a it's a book. No pictures. No pictures, pros, and uh, and it's essentially it is set on a spaceship called the Intrepid, where all the all the ensigns die. Ah, okay. And it Red is shirt. revealed that they might be attached to a poorly written science fiction television show from a parallel universe, and so I just I read it in five hours. <laughs> I mean, I skimmed the shit out of it because it was awesome. Yeah. And I could reread it probably three more times than it was, but it was very fun. And it was, it was, it was interesting because when I think about writing fiction, my greatest fear is that I don't want to write crummy fiction, but why do anything if you're <laughs> right? I mean, that's the greatest fear is like, well, I guess I'll never play tennis right? or what, you know, <laughs> it's why I get up in the morning. <laughs> yeah. If, if, but I also feel that if I wanted to write, I would write and much like acting. Because I do want to act, and I do want to write, and I do write, and I do act. But I don't do it the same way I do stand-up comedy. You don't pursue it with the same uh, vigor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when people come up to me and they say, "I want oh, I've always wanted to do stand-up comedy. How do you do stand-up comedy? Your, my knee-jerk reaction to that is, well, you just do it. Yeah. And that isn't helpful, A. B, <laughs> um, the, I know what they mean. Because it's, it's, I used to act, ask actors in Los Angeles. I'd be like, well, how do you get into acting? And they would look at me and they'd be like, well, you just act. And they literally do. They find like three like-minded individuals and make a, a web show. series yeah. or put on a show or they get a theater. They take a class. They, And if they can't, you know, they go audition for, you know, Soap Dish, you know, some sort of community theater. Yeah. There, there are actors who have never, that aren't famous and who who don't even work enough to make a living at it in the industry in Los Angeles but who would love to act and thus they act and they act all the time and they do it in di different plays and they have day jobs and they have, and I know that if I did, like if I stopped making a living doing standup, I've already won, you know, it's yeah. already hooray. <laughs> but if I ever didn't make a living at it, I would continue to do it. And just because it's something, it's, it's just something I do. Now. You're a standup. Yeah. I'm a comic. Yeah. And I, I, it's like that Joan Rivers movie we were talking about in the, beginning of it they show her going into a club in the middle of brooklyn and there's this ripped up stool yeah and later in the movie she says you know i don't think of myself as a comic i think of myself as an actress who does stand-up comedy and you're like no no you you my friend are a comic because actresses don't go uh to shitty weird places in brooklyn <laughs> and do a uh, 10 do minutes it. or have a card catalog full of jokes yeah yeah it's a they, that's a heck of a role it, yeah exactly that is not it's not your passion yeah. and it's not that she couldn't have been a great actress if they'd given her the chance or if she had been more interested right it's just different so you brought up interesting points about actors who just act and it made me think of something else i want to talk about so i mentioned this to you before so i have this theory this yeah. running theory that cartoonists and comics there's a 
flip sides of a coin in a weird way in that a comic a stand-up is, comedy a stand-up comic is one person one microphone right a direct voice to an audience with an immediacy yeah and a cartoonist if it's somebody writing and drawing their own material mm-hmm. is one person one pen and a direct line of communication and it's not like a novel where the reader can picture what's happening. Right. It's the pictures are the there. Pictures are there. And the same thing with a comedian, you're painting the picture right immediately and they can see you. Right. Like there's no there's less filling in the blanks. Right. The only thing more immediate is the reaction of the audience. Right, which you get in the moment. Right. And I never see because you're it's reading so it off somewhere else. Right, exactly. Yeah. Off screen. But through this this meta this not it's not even a metaphor, this comparison. And I think there are a lot of comic book people that love comedy and and i've learned a yeah. lot of com- comedians that read comics yeah so there's a lot of interesting interplay i'm curious about the the business and the industry and how it works because i read something pat oswald had written about the gatekeepers a number of years ago oh right and how it the was, gatekeepers oh, he was he, he i think it was his keynote thing at J- uh, yes. just for laughs yes yeah. and how the gatekeepers are gone and how it used to be you need your five minutes for carson or the tonight show yep and that was your ticket and then that would open you up to new gatekeepers, etc. Yeah. And as I read that, I thought, well, comics for a long time was do your five-page sample, yeah. you send to Marvel or DC or Dark Horse or whoever, and hopefully you'd get a tryout on an issue of What If. I mean, that's literally what happened to me. I did samples. I did an yep. issue of What If. And, you know, and you, slow, work. You, get, you start getting work or you don't. Right. But that's the path. That is the path. And in the more recent years, past 10, 15 years, Everything has changed with the internet and that sort of thing. So, Arca Vagrant, Ogloff. Yeah, yeah. webcomics, forget it. Yeah. So it parallels to a certain degree that article, that piece, that, yeah. that that speech that Patton gave. And, you know, you, I, I, I have your sort of mini bio where you started doing comedy in 84 and then sort of took a break. And then from 90 to 97, mm-hmm. you were in the Midwest. Yep. And then you went to LA in 97, which is a huge point to get to yeah. Los Angeles because that's like, I guess the end of Mr. Show on right. HBO. Which, yeah. And like the rise of... And I met all those people. I had never seen Mr. Show. That's fair. It was on HBO. Not everybody right. had HBO. I didn't even have basic cable. <laughs> I had rabbit ears. And, uh... But I mean, that's the rise of your Largo show, your M-Bar. Yep. Here in New York, there was Luna Lounge, which yep. I used to go to. Yeah, uh, I did that. Did you? Yeah, I did that Luna was... Lounge. I like I did Largo. When I moved to Los Angeles, it was the beginning of what is known as like sort of that alty thing. Yeah. And Which is just, at this point, everybody can acknowledge it's alternative venues, right? Not alternative yeah. to being funny. Yeah. yeah. Not alternative <laughs> to being funny. And yeah. Not alternative to hack. Because everybody admits that there are road comics that are funnier than Goofy. And Pat Oswald has the greatest. He had the greatest line. It had to be 99, 1999, at Largo. Lisa Line Gang was running that show at that time. And she would put up these comics. And there was a young comic from Canada whose name I cannot remember. But he went up, he did his act. But because he wasn't a cool kid, because they didn't know who he was, and because he had a bit of a cadence, you know, he had a bit of a road cadence, mm-hmm. and he wasn't real storytelling, and he, but he wasn't deadpan and dismissive. <laughs> so he was in the sweet spot of trying to entertain people, poor bastard. Um, <laughs> he ate it. He ate it. And the MC got up after him and said, Man, I love it when regular, like, club, weird club comics, road guys try to do these rooms. It's just so, so funny. And he mocked him. The guy's still in the room. Yeah. And then he introduces Patton. And Patton gets up and he goes, yeah. Yeah, that poor bastard. What an idiot. 
you know what I love? I love watching an alti comic do the road where he tells his great story about Jeremy and nobody <laughs>, laughs and everyone goes. And then he just gets all sad and goes, Jeremy, you guys, I'm talking about Jeremy. And it was just the greatest analogy of how comedy is not to be. <laughs> and it is. It's so, but I would like to get back to actually uh, to what you were saying about yeah, yeah. because I did, I read comics in junior high. I had a, a weird job that paid $7.50. I would clean brushes at my stepmother's uh, beauty salon. All right. And I would get $7.50. And then I would walk across the street from the beauty salon to the hobby shop and spend it all yeah. on Spider-Man comics. And at the time, I was writing a lot of fiction about mercenaries in Africa. Okay. Uh, yes. And they were action kind of or, or awful. Anyway, they were not racially sensitive. Let's just I, go there. Blood diamonds and stuff. <laughs> Yes, but I learned how to pronounce the word mbele. Ah, anyway, nice. but I never read comics after that. And then I remember meeting Patton and him talking about D&D &D and comic books and all this stuff. And I was like, you know, I, I, I've always been interested, but I don't know anything about it. And then I met my husband and started dating him. And he's a game designer. Right. And it's every single game. And he is also a comic book guy. He went to college to, he wanted to draw comics. Oh, okay. And he realized, this is a, funny story because when he graduated from ucla he said that he realized that he did not want to draw comics for a living because all of his friends who wanted to draw comics for a living that's all they did was draw <laughs> comics all the time they were constantly drawing and what he was doing was constantly gaming and so he ended up getting a job at a game design company and the rest is whatever his career yeah but he loves comic books and so he has a pull list and so you know one of the first things he did was he was like Oh, you don't you don't read you don't read what about what about these items? First one's free. How yeah, so what did he get what did he start you with? Uh Alan Moore top ten. Interesting. Interesting. Uh because I think I mentioned Hill Street Blues. Okay. And uh <laughs> and I remember it was top ten and then I started going with him to the comic book store and he would get his pull list and then he would do a lap and I would look around and I would pick stuff and I was like, Well, what is this? And he's like, I don't know, let's give it a shot. And we got into things that he he attributes me getting him into a lot of indie stuff that he wouldn't have that he wouldn't have read. Hard times. Sure. Short lived. Short lived yeah. and then they canceled it, which was too bad. But um but it was, was great. part of like a DC line of, of yeah. Felix or something. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, and it was the guy who wrote Howard the Duck. Gerber, Steve Gerber. Yeah. Yeah. And uh it was it was right after Columbine. Okay. And it was about a kid who was in a Columbine situation but didn't know it was going to be real, so didn't kill himself or shoot anyone. But they used him as an example. He was 15, and they sent him to jail for 50 years. And so the comic book would have been fascinating if that's what it would have been. Turns out uh, he had a he had a ghost living in him. Anyway, so it was... <laughs> why wouldn't he? It'd be, why wouldn't he? Yeah. And it became much more that. But it was fascinating. But so he handed me top 10, and then he was like, Okay, I think you're ready. And he handed me Sandman. Interesting. And uh, and then it was Lucifer, and then so he put you on a vertigo track right. out of the gate. Okay. Right. But also, then we moved in together, and then his pull list would just be sitting around. So I ended up just reading week month to month, and he's mostly Marvel. Okay. So to this point, we get about forty comics a month. And, and that would have been like the early 2000s or thereabouts. Yeah, 2000. Okay. We met in 2003. So this would have been the Bendis era Marvel comics. Yes, but then we left Bendis entirely. Oh I cannot read anything except Powers. Okay. Because I love his dialogue. 
he doesn't ever he doesn't show enough action for me and he never finishes anything <laughs> and with powers he doesn't have to right. and uh, it doesn't mean i don't love you brian michael bendis and i'm sure you're perfectly and i know you're friends with friends of mine and I don't care. I'm so sorry. But here's my... Everything my, can be great. It just might not be... For me. For me. Right. Or for me. Right. The meanest thing I ever said about Michael, Brian Michael Bendis was as if he had written the Avengers movie, the entire movie would have taken place at the shawarma shop. I am I will not dispute that statement. Right. Because I've never met Brian. I never necessarily got on board because I may be a little bit more... I'd been reading Avengers for a long time. I worked mm-hmm. at Marvel in, okay. a, in the Avengers office. Okay. In the Kurt Busiek, George Perez era. Which oh, wow. Is Kurt Busiek, who does uh, Astro? Astro City. That's amazing. He's great. He's uh, – I love that guy. He's a good I don't guy. Know that guy. He's a good guy. But I love that. So I have a very traditional sense of the Avengers. So Bendis' version is, is a pretty big departure. Right. He weeds off. He likes to – like the Sentry, you know, the – Just all the ninjas and, and stuff. Just, for me, that wasn't it, to it's my not, taste. It's not to my taste. Exactly. But it was when I met Ed Brubaker – and it was so funny because he was my very first live dork forest. And okay. I just tweeted at him and I said, Hey, I'm coming to Seattle. Would you have any interest in this? He was like, what is it? <laughs> sure. And then he did it. And I keep meaning to have him back. He's such a nice was man. Was he wearing his hat the whole time or did he take it off? I believe he took it off. Okay. Good. And, like uh, a gentleman. You take like your hat off when you go indoors. Right. Yes. And, uh, and, but we were, we were in the green room and I, and I loved incognito even more than Powers. And Powers is wonderful. I love Powers. But I told him that, and he goes, I'm going to text Bendis right now. And I was like, this is so close to knowing people that are really cool. Because it is, when you're a comic book nerd, and then you get to even stand next to these people, you're just, you feel, it just feels really cool. I'll say, I know exactly how that feels, because I'm sitting here talking to you right now. Right. (laughs) Well, it's probably, right, it's like anybody who's really good at their job, and you're just like, oh, the best plumber in the world. I I had that realization. I was at uh, SF Sketch Fest in 2012, I think. I I was out on the West Coast, and I'm like, all right, I'm nearby. Let's go see some shows. And I went to see, I don't remember which, I went to three or four shows, and just seeing, like, holy crap, there's Rob Corddry, like three people away from me. Right. And then I was in an elevator with Greg Proops. Like the right. whole thing, I'm like, this must be what it's like to go to Comic-Con as a <laughs> I fan. Think, I think it is. <laughs> and and I, I tend to, I get thrown too. Like I just, I met Lorraine Newman and I George mean, Carlin's daughter, Kelly Carlin. Sure. And, and then I got to meet freaking Tom Papa knows Matt Damon. Right? And so Matt Damon, I did a show. Matt Damon was in the show. And my, and I'm, I'm socially not all there all the time, but uh, it might be another parallel between uh, comics and cartoons, <laughs> right? And but I'm not. I'm hopefully not mean, but I'm and I'm and I'm not. And, and, whatever. Here's what happened. Matt Damon comes up to me after my set. He says it was very funny. That was nice job. Shook my hand, and all I could think to say was, "This is neat," to Matt Damon out loud. At which point he was like, "Well, it's been nice meeting you." <laughs> That that seems at least better than the first thing that popped into my head, which is Paul Tompkins' bit about Matt Damon and the little jelly. No. Have you heard? So Paul Tompkins does a bit when he was on that movie, The Informant, exclamation yeah. point. <laughs> and apparently Matt Damon, during shooting, was being brought in a bowl with like a cube of jelly that he was supposed to eat. Okay. And again, Paul Tompkins does the bit and certainly mm-hmm. does it way better than what I'm doing right now. Right. But apparently... He was telling this joke somewhere, and Tom Arnold was in the back of the room yeah. and explained that it's some sort of dietary thing for him to drop weight. Oh, okay. Because he had gained a lot of weight for the informant. Oh. And it was this weird, like, jelly in a bowl of liquid. 
Yeah, yeah. So now, like, if you put yeah. comedy and Matt Damon in the same space, that's where my head goes. Right, to. right. You think, oh, why wouldn't you mention that weird thing? That <laughs> yeah, he... why wouldn't you ask him about that weird thing that he probably <laughs> right, doesn't that, want to that talk about? Ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. That Well, that is part of it, too, is where you don't want to talk about the thing that they don't want to talk about. The only person who wants to talk about the thing that nobody wants to talk about is Mark Maron, yes. who's like, what don't you want to talk about? Oh, allow me to bring that up initially. And yeah. uh, <laughs> He's very but, good at it, though. Oh, my God. He's the best. Yeah. He's like, no, I will open a vein first if yeah. that helps. Does that make you more comfortable? I, yeah. I, yes, I, it does. I can't imagine like stepping into that garage and going, here we go. Oh, it was nice. It was yeah. right. You know what? And I, and I, I mean, you guys got into it pretty quickly, like out of the gate. I was in a very early episode yeah. before I knew that anyone would listen to it. And he had plenty of listeners. And so I, I definitely opened a vein before. And luckily, none of my family has any interest in my career besides a, a vague support. Yeah. There are literally every single one of my siblings have said to me, you know, I don't really like stand-up comedy. Again, it might be another interesting parallel. Mm, exactly. It's just like, you don't? I don't like money laundering, yeah. um, but I'm proud of you. And uh, so... <laughs> But here's but what I do think is a parallel, and I've said this before on, on the Dork Forest, is that comic books, because nobody cares, can be about anything. Yeah. That's the most beautiful thing about it. I don't necessarily want to read it. You and your sad sack, blow by blow, you know, our crumb that people love. They oh, love no. that and stuff. And some of them are great. The book Blankets is really good. I've tried to read it. Uh, uh, but it's... It's super sad. Super sad. And it's not what I'm looking for. Yeah, my friends and I refer to those as sad diner comics. Oh, very nice. Because it's, you know... The, it's like the movie Diner. It's like, well, just a sad guy in a diner, just like forlornly looking over, <laughs> at, you know. My friend Smitty yeah. did a cartoon of just like a guy sitting there, head in hand, just says life in like a thought balloon. <laughs> Have you seen those emo, the emo paintings? Have not. It's some artist at, at my comic book shop that uh, has does our pull list. Earth 2 Comics on Ventura. I'm aware of it. He has, there's these, it's a series of, of emo superhero paintings. Okay. And it's, it's, it's like Batman looking super sad, but it's a cartoony Batman, like sure. a, like a bobbleheady looking Batman. And underneath it, it just says, my parents are dead. And, um. <laughs> you could do a run of those. Right. And it's a run of those. Yeah. And it's, it's very rogue. I think it's just like. I just want to be held sure. or something. It's very sweet. But I want them, I want it to be someone I want. Like, a, like I'm not going to want a Batman painting. I'm not going to want a, a rogue painting. I don't right. know who I would want, but maybe Deadpool. But I feel like, based on what I've seen you tweet about, mm -hmm. I feel like maybe like, and I'm, and I'm a few issues behind. Sure. But maybe like Snow White or Rose Red from Fables. Oh, the Fables. You know, he's doing a great job. Oh God. I, I just read today. This might not even make it to the final episode, but yeah. I'm catching up because mm -hmm. you know I, I I know it's ending. Oh, is he done? One fifty is the last issue. Well, good. Yeah, but because it's amazing. Bunch, the last bunch. So I'm on issue like one forty three right now. Okay. And this, I don't know how far behind you are, where you're at in your reading. I'm I'm caught up. It's so intense. It's super intense. It's with so the intense. You know, it's I, so good. I had Bill Willingham on the... I listened to that one. That was crazy because Andy was like, you know, he was he was a little thrown during that interview. And I said, yeah, I, I, I didn't get that. I, it was fascinating. He was in the army in, in, in Vietnam. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, nobody at Comic-Con is ever asking him about the army in Vietnam. That was Vietnam. amazing. <laughs> I heard that and I thought, if I ever have Bill Willingham on this show, yeah. I need to talk to him about it. Right, I think Vietnam. Right, I would prefer to talk. I mean, because nobody talks about Vietnam. No, 
nobody talks about Vietnam yeah. and nobody talks about, and you know what? It's so funny because people, not funny, haha, is the way people are like, well, you know, he's really conservative. And I was like, well, I'm going to not talk to him about that then. Because, I mean, he gets to have whatever politics he wants. And I would talk to him about that because he served in a war. Right. He probably, yeah. He's <laughs> he probably has some has real very, opinions. Right. Opinions and a weird perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And he writes these huge wars. Like He writes about war. He writes right. about this stuff. He's coming from, a, like, I didn't know that. And I heard, I was like, that is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have no idea how old anybody is. Right. Right. <laughs> or what the hell is happening. Yeah. Yeah. But my favorite of his was the <laughs> Jack of Fables. Great. It was so great. So great. I could reread that anytime. It's, That's just... And He's great. I didn't realize until probably issue 12 or 26 that it's Jack Offables. Right. And uh, why Why would I not get the dick joke? He's so, it's so good. It's, it's so good. So people are, people are so, Kurt Busiak, yeah. almost everything Matt Fraction does. He I'm not as into. It's, uh, some of it is dumb, but I, I always <laughs> give it a shot, right? Because I usually, and Brian would, yeah. and then. Because I, my my thing is, is, I've been reading them almost nonstop now for ten years. I'm just starting to get in deep enough to know the art artists, right? And I feel it feels rude because they're so much a big part of the the genre. It takes. I think. I mean, I but, started reading when I was a little kid, right? So and, I was ca I caught on a little earlier, right? But you're not immediately going to start knowing. No, no, and 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 it's nice being attached to somebody who can go to the long boxes in his head, and just pull just weird fun facts. Because I read, you know, the, the She-Hulk. Who wrote the great She-Hulk? That was Dan Slott. It was Dan Slott. Yeah. Dan Slott almost always. Everything yeah, he touches. I, I'm like, yeah, I'll very give that good. a shot. And, um, and Brew Baker. And are you reading Velvet? I read the first issue of Velvet. Uh, there's no reason not to continue <laughs> uh, to read all Velvet. I, I, I will say it's, again, it's very good. I don't always read crime stuff. Right. And like, it is, and it's a very genre-ific. Yeah. It's, it's Agent Carter- but quite honestly, better than age. I like, loved Agent Carter, the first, the two-hour special. Right. But Velvet is something else entirely. I mean, the stuff I read, I like stuff that's unapologetically super heroic. Okay. And I love Fables. Fables is the best. Okay. Uh, there's a book called The Private Eye, which is only available digitally. Brian oh. Vaughn writes it. Oh, really? With Marcos Martin. It's okay. awesome. Pay what wow. you want. Digital okay. comic. It's amazing. And then a bunch of image stuff. Yeah. A bunch uh, of image stuff for sure, like yeah. the saga and, the saga. and Alex and Ada. I have the first trade of that. Haven't read it yet. Okay. I like Peter Panzerfaust. Oh, uh, I haven't. It's it's a World War II telling of the Peter Pan story. Oh, that's cool. It's very cool. So it's, that's awesome. Yeah, I don't mind that. I like that's... that one. Uh, so yeah, there's a bunch of stuff I'm reading. Yeah. We could talk pull lists. We could talk pull forever. lists forever. I want to get back to okay the the notes. Okay. I have to follow the notes. <laughs> so as somebody that was in the comedy game before the internet. Did I get bit by the comedy bug in the comedy game? Yes, I think I did. And uh, <laughs> I got bit by the comedy bug watching it from a distance. But I was thinking about this before we started talking. Was I remember watching comedy on TV. There was some show that would be on after Saturday Night Live that was hosted by Louie Anderson. Right. I can't remember what it was called. But right, right. It was like after something. Something like that. probably called late after. Something. Late I, after. I, I think that's the first time. I need $450. Let's give comics $450. I think that's the first time I saw Andy Kindler on tv oh wow and he did a bit that i still remember he was he was being andy kindler mm -hmm. and he did this bit about running up running something up the flagpole <laughs> it's so and it was a ridiculous bit and he kept hitting it and hitting it and hitting it <laughs> for no reason for no and you could see like the room 
you couldn't tell if they were laughing, but I thought it was amazing. Well, the commitment alone. He, like, he went Kinder. literally. He's like, let's run the flight up the hill. Literally. And he just kept saying literally. And like, <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. Hammering the word literally. It was nuts. I asked Andy Kindler. You probably have a question at the end of the story. But uh, let me tell you. That, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Please. I was in Montreal a couple of years ago. I had a bit that I wanted to work on about breast cancer. <laughs> and I wanted to reference the movie A Man Called Horse. Now, A Man Called Horse is a movie with, I can't even remember his name offhand. Um, is it a Western? It is a racially sensitive Western from okay. 1970. And it is a great movie, but it is about a guy who wants to be an Indian. And he gets captured by the Indians. And, and to become one of this Native American tribe, they hang him by his pectoral muscles with a, like elk horn. Oh, jeez. And so that's on the poster. He's hanging, and it is ridiculous, and it is a I'm very- i the int- breast cancer connection. Right. Okay. So I, I do the bit one time in L.A. Nobody has seen A Man Called Horse. <laughs> Nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about. I think Andy Kindler is age-appropriate for this film. He likes film. Let's, and so I go up to him, and it's his alt show, which means it's supposed to be new stuff anyway. And it's full of industry, which I always forget whenever I go to Montreal, that it's going to be full of a pile of haircuts. So I go up to Andy and I was like, have you seen, you've seen a man called horse and his manager is standing next to him and his manager goes, I've seen it. And I was like, okay, Andy. And he goes, no. And I said, I have this joke and I explained and he goes, do it anyway. I'm, 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 I'm an anomaly. Bruce has seen it. It's going to be great. I do it. Bruce, the only one who laughs. And I get off stage. I'm talking to Greg Fitzsimmons and he goes, did you just take comedy advice of what to say on stage from Andy Kindler? And I was like, mm, point taken, point taken, because Andy could have made that joke work because he can make anything work. It's funny. Oh, I could not make that joke work, it turns out. That joke, uh, I had to bail on that joke. <laughs> so to what I was saying, yeah, I remember, so there was that. Like that's where you could see stand-up or right. an HBO half hour where there'd be like a skit in the beginning and a skit on the end sure. or, or whatever the case may be. And then Comedy Central blew up exploded mm-hmm. and there was a million shows the right. a-list or, or premium blend or comedy product or all these different shows and right, i used right. to watch there as... was comedy on the road and there was gary bynum's there was comedy on the road and evening at the improv which were both on right. a&e evening at the improv was on a&e yes i think and then and then rosie was... o'donnell used to host that sure yeah. sure i never did that i did i did comedy on the road with gary bynum okay i didn't know who gary bynum was he was on laughing or some damn okay. thing it's uh Someone is yelling at their iPod right now going, no, it wasn't. Anyway, but whatever it was, uh, I stood in line, just like the rest of the other four comics that were on the show, shook his hand and said, I love your work. Uh, (laughs) In a very sincere fashion, not knowing who the hell I was talking to. I was so nervous. It was my first time on television. And I was literally, literally, literally. No, I was genuinely wearing my brother's suit coat as a dress coat, and I had rolled up the sleeves because I had to because they were too long. And I look, uh, I look like a caricature sure. of uh, of a stand-up comic. The the and, Molly Shannon bit from Saturday Night Live of uh, right, know, whatever it is, and there's the brick and wall. there's no proof of that. I I have offered was... people uh, a reward if they could find that horrible set because I believe the thing that could personify that set would be the word wooden. I think I was a little nervous. <laughs> it's amazing that that sometimes things can just sort of disappear, like that yeah, set. You wouldn't think. Or I tried to find uh, Jen Kirkman's half-hour Comedy Central right. presents or whatever it is. 
It's not on ComedyCentral.com? No. She's, what are they I, doing? I tweeted at her. I'm mm-hmm. like, where is this thing? And she's like, oh, maybe it, w- maybe it was premium. It might have been premium blend. It was something. Right. And she's like, yeah, it's so bad. I've asked them never to oh, show it. Oh, well, that was nice. It is, but I kind of want to see it. Yeah, yeah, because it was so bad. Yeah. They just re-aired mine from 2003, my half hour. Yeah. And they chopped the punchline off of one of the jokes. You will know this joke because it's on bread, I think. Okay. Which was the North Platte joke. Okay. The North Platte joke, they cut out the punchline. So I sound like a crazy person. Who just hates North Platte. Who North just Pla- hates Nebraska. North Platte and thinks that Bin Laden lives there. And then they smash cut to whatever the next joke was. And so if they air it, and they never do, but they must have three months ago, because I got, I got like half a dozen mean tweets and three weirdo emails saying, well, screw you. We live here. And usually it was, yeah, it sucks, but screw you. Right. <laughs> and I was like... You're correct. And, but oh, these curious. people are like, why would you bring up Bin Laden? And I was like, you realize this was 11 years ago. Uh, I wrote so the joke. It, I haven't been to North Platte since 1996. Anyway, but it's such a weird joke. <laughs> I'm going to have to now go to Amazon Prime where they have all those specials oh, yeah. and see if it's, if it's edited or not on that version. Oh, no, it will be. It will, it'll, be? It'll oh, okay. be. it will be edited with the chainsaw that they used. <laughs> I was I literally when I I literally and I use that word wrong all the time, but That's I okay. literally burst into tears oh, when I saw when I first saw it. I was like, "Holy crap, they fucked it up!" And then I cried, and then I was like, "All right, well, cash the check, Jackie. <laughs> Keep moving." <laughs> it's all you can do to invoke one of your other bits. You got to be a shark and keep moving forward, right? You can't back it up. You can't back it up. That's Who knew right. that sharks couldn't go backwards? You can't go backwards, you guys. Uh, that's what you learn from listening to comedy. That's it. Sharks won't go backwards. I'll tell you something. Dan Telfer, second time I've mentioned him for some reason. Dinosaur man. Dinosaur, uh, dinosaur Dan. Dan. Dinosaur Dan did a joke the other night about a possum, and he called. He mentioned that it was a mammal, and some guy in the audience yelled, "Those they're mammals," and he went off on this guy. He was like, "Yeah, it's a fucking mammal." Yeah. And he's like, "It's a marsupial." Yeah, it's a straight up marsupial. And, and it goes, he goes on <laughs> scientifically about the marsupial and the mammal and the eggs and the all of these. And the guy, and so then he goes back into the bit, and the guy, before the end of the bit, interrupts him again to say, I looked it up on Wikipedia, you're right. And Dan goes, I was right because I'm your comedian. I'm your comedian, so I am correct. <laughs> and it was, I forget exactly how he put it, but it was the greatest line. Anyway. That's awesome. <laughs> so as all these things are, are popping up, mm-hmm. different venues, you know, you are fairly new at that point or, mm-hmm. or you know rising to the idea of gatekeepers oh yeah and the and the notion of how you break into this system yeah it's sort of like in comics in the 90s mm-hmm. a bunch of publishers started popping up there was one uh, malibu comics certainly which eventually was bought up by marvel or dark horse was a bigger player at that point yeah there was a company in florida called techno comics mm-hmm. like they were everywhere right jim shooter kept starting new publishing companies <laughs> so Didn't was, eastman and laird start one I think they maybe did publish a couple of things. Right, because they, they th- uh, cause I, I mean, had him t- on. Okay, Eastman? Kevin Eastman, and he was talking about how they got all their money from the Ninja Turtles, and they were like, this isn't a fluke. We're good at this. Let's pu- let's get everybody else to self-publish, and then they lost a bunch of money. Yeah, that's and, what happens. I mean, yeah. there's a company called Comico, or Comico. Mm-hmm. That's where Elementals was published. Oh, okay. That would have been the, that, and um, uh, Grendel, I think, was published okay. there. A bunch of stuff. So. I was still too young at that point, but you hear stories of like everything was getting like that's where you can get your workout. Yeah. Like the black and white boom or whatever the case may be. So was that the feeling 
when Comedy Central and all these venues started popping up, or was it still gatekeepers it's, and? You know, I never understood the premise of the gatekeeper until I moved to Los Angeles. Okay. I mean, I knew the gatekeeper in Minneapolis was a guy named Scott Hansen who owned all the comedy clubs. He was the gatekeeper, and it was, and there was a rigmarole, and there was a, there were hoops, and there was hanging out and there was bullshit and there was a lot of things that you still have to do at early levels of of every career no doubt and certainly for stand-up and when you move to a new city like i did i moved to los angeles luckily i moved to los angeles and that was the only gatekeeper i knew so i knew that i had to reinvent myself that nobody gave a shit that i was very funny in minneapolis right congratulations (laughs) and now you are one of ten thousand comics Ten of whom I meet. I meet ten new comics every three months in New York or L.A. Four of them are amazing, and you just want to say to That's them, a "Why are percentage?" It's a huge percentage. Yeah, it's like because the cream of the crop, you know, because everybody right. eventually figures, "Well, I'm going to run it up the flagpole. I'm going to go and try yeah. and see if anybody cares." And you you want to say to these people, "Why aren't you famous?" But then they're going to say, "Well, why aren't you famous?" And uh, yeah. because everybody's just trying, you know. But there's so much talent and there's so much good work being done that I was psyched when I moved there that I didn't have this theory of there's a sense of entitlement that that I think cripples comics and actors when they move to Los Angeles or New York where they have a sense of entitlement. and They're like, don't you know who I am in in Boise? And you have to you have to dial it back. You have an advantage already if you're good at what you do. You have an advantage already if, when you get your opportunity, you will rise to that occasion. Nobody does know who you are, and you have to have some humility and do some some footwork, do some legwork or whatever. You have to yeah. <laughs> rebuild, reinvent the fucking wheel. So when I moved to Los Angeles, my friend Jennifer was like, you can live with me. I have a studio. I found a friend of mine gave me a mattress. So it's not a found mattress. It's not a horrible but it'll be on the floor. We right. don't have a, and it was, and the privacy I had was the corner in between. It'd be like the corner into your kitchen. Yeah. And so, and we lived in that apartment for three years and wow. I was on the road a fair amount. She got a writing job. So she was on the road a fair amount, but eventually we moved into the same, like a giant bunk bed in that same building. And then three years later, she was like, I need to live alone. We're going to be 30. Get out. And I was like, fair enough. And uh, so I moved away. But she told me something. When I first moved there, she had lived there for about a year and a half. And she said, what people forget when they meet the industry people, the managers and the agents and the casting people, is that those people don't have the talent. They want, you're the cool person. You have the thing that they want. And you have to remember that you were the one with the talent that they... So be polite and, and yes, but don't kiss their ass because they need you more than you need them. And always remember that. That's interesting. I think that's, that's probably a lesson that comics people can learn because there's, there are a lot of people. You're like, you have all the toys. You have, for yeah. some reason, the printing press. And only five people get to draw Spider-Man at right. most at one and time. The cred and the, yeah. and everybody wants the cred. And... Everybody wants the cred and it's, and it's. You know, I draw as my my day job. I draw SpongeBob comics. Okay. Which to the mainstream comic book world is really that's like it doesn't rate. Oh, really? 
Yeah, because it's it's a kids' cartoon show, right? And it's a comic based on a cartoon show. It's right. not Adventure Time, which is right, which the show is the cool kids' show. Yeah. yeah, and but I draw comics for a living every day. You've already won. Yeah, it's already it's already so, a win. I mean, it's taken me time to yes. get to that point because yes. for a while you're like, but because I'll I'll go to a convention and I have drawings of Spider Man and people are like, oh man, you you draw Spider Man? Why aren't you drawing Spider Man? I'm like, well, I don't get to make that decision. Right. And I don't really want to draw Spider-Man at this point. That's right. a lot of buildings yep. that I don't want to draw. <laughs> uh, but thank you. I like yes. drawing superheroes, doing superhero stuff. Right. So thanks. Yeah. And I'm going to go earn a living. Right. And then do my own thing and blah, blah, blah. There is a certain amount of humility that you that you have to that, – that you have to it's – not, it's not creating your own limitations. It's just knowing your own limitations. You're not limiting yourself. You're just saying – well, this is what and and having gratitude for what you get to do, and knowing that that you also get to do the other thing you want to do, like yeah. like I want I wanted to do an hour special. I wanted to film an HD hour special. Uh, it turns out uh, nobody else wanted to pay for that, <laughs> and and I was told that Netflix is looking for content. Are they? Uh, they haven't. They, I, I emailed them. They <laughs> they have not responded. And uh, but I paid for it myself, and it and I got to make the editing decisions. My punchlines were not cut up. Right. And I'm very proud of it. It was three years since my previous album, so all of that material is new. All right. of that material is stuff that I I feel is is really good. And there's at least 24 of the 56 minutes that I think is great. And the rest of it is I'm I'm proud enough of. So And that is one of those things that couldn't have happened in ninety five or ninety nine no. or two thousand and five. Yeah. In the same way that comics at this point with web comics and even self publishing is so much easier and digital publishing. Yeah. So it's you know, podcasts certainly for comedians right. is huge. Right. And some of some comedians earn money doing it. Right. And I people donate to the Dork Forest right. and I appreciate it and I and I it pays for itself, very much so. And the fan base that I've gotten from it is an entirely different kind of fan base than straight stand-up. They're a more thoughtful bunch, and they're a more... Because a lot of people who go to see stand-up traditionally are sort of bar crawl folk. Yeah. You know, they're like, Let's go see a funny show. Let's go see a funny show, and that'll be fun. And they're not dumb, and they're not anything bad about them. They're just not necessarily my... Like they're not like soulmates. Well, to to what you were saying connection. about not knowing who the artists were in the comics. Yeah, I've had people say, "Oh my god, we went to a comedy club. It was so funny." And then I say, "Who was it?" And like I don't remember their name. Right. But they were so funny. Can yeah. you Tell me one of the bits. I don't remember. It was so funny. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> what I can do is is nobody ever remembers anybody's name, of course, right? And but so yeah, they always have like a piece of paper with the you know it's like right? a playbill. Turns out. Yeah. And which is why you know. My father has the greatest advice, and I always think I'm never going to follow it, and then I do. In the 90s, he was like, you should throw painter's caps into the audience with your name on them. Like the hats? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> uh, around 1999, I started giving away buttons that had okay. my that had the vagina t-shirt button okay. sure, sure. on it, and, and it had my name on it. And I was like, oh. This is the greatest idea in the world because I'd get four new followers every time someone didn't throw a button out. Yeah. But it, it builds it builds audience like nothing else. All of this stuff, all this internet and Twitter and podcasting and and the connection that I get to have with people where I get to actually a guy emails me every week to tell me 
in detail what he thought about the Dork Forest, the errors that was made. Same the person? That, same guy. Okay. Uh, resonating. There's about three or four. An intern actually. you never hired. The intern I never <laughs> hired wants to let me in on it. The one guy's from Milwaukee. Another guy is from New Jersey. Right. <laughs> and it's it's interesting because they're oftentimes much smarter than I am. They have access to – they think that I'm very smart. And I'm not, I'm not dumb, but I'm – there are buildings full of, I mean, there's just too much to know, right? Yeah. And so the things that I put my attention on are not always. I mean, just dinosaurs alone. Dinosaurs still alone, a, I'm never going to. a museum. Gonna, exactly. I'm still going to think that one thing is a dinosaur that got proven isn't. That's right. Pluto. I'm, I'm That's still a planet. planet. It'll of be course. fine. So has all of this stuff changed as far as you, and again, you're not breaking into comedy anymore in the same right. way that I'm not breaking into comics anymore, but I can see that the days of the five-page sample are gone. Yeah. Like it's now get a Tumblr page, get a DeviantArt page or be at a convention or something. Right. Make your own comic to break into comics. Right. And it's still no guarantee though. It's no guarantee. But right. But but here's the, the open good thing. mic is still a thing. Yeah, the open mic is still a okay. thing. Managers and agents and development meetings are still a thing. And you know, Maria just told me Bamford she's yeah. one of my best friends. And so I just got a call from her. Netflix is going to make a TV show with her nice yeah well that took long enough <laughs> because she's incredibly gifted and she's can done do like a four thousand... different youtube shows right she can yeah. do any character she can it's do a amazing. million not any character but i mean she can do a million characters she's goddamn hilarious and but she's been in these meetings for months with the gatekeepers with the new gatekeepers because they have the money because netflix is yeah. they like to think of themselves as an indie organization amazon prime and they're transparent they were we're just a startup group. No, no, you aren't Amazon. Yeah, so you don't sorry. get a cast like that as a startup group. Yes, yeah. it's uh, it's like Wes Anderson saying, yeah, "I just put Mr. Fox together over the weekend." Did you? With just some <laughs> friends, you and George Clooney and Meryl Streep just hanging out doing stop motion. Of course. Yeah, and so, <laughs> but when when you get called into those meetings, I am told, and I do not. But one day, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And I will continue to do the things I do, and and be perfectly pleased but if i do get called into him i loved maria's attitude about it she'd be like you know i talked to her and she'd go yeah it's free salad day i get a free salad and a bottle of water and i get a bottle of water to go too and i was like so how did she's like how'd it go and she's like the salad was nice and uh i guess we're gonna meet again next week <laughs> i can only imagine that comes with age and experience and, and seeing other people go through this and yes at a certain I, point you go that's just that's the game it's patience yeah. and it and it's so the only way to learn patience is to genuinely age uh there's it's the weirdest thing in the world like there was some drama there's all this drama that occurs online right yeah there's trolls and there's gamergate and there's people that are sad that you're making fun of the thing that they love or have any criticism of it at all and I, somebody asked me, they said, Does, do you get a lot of trolls? You know, you're a feminist, you're a, you're a liberal hippie skippy, whatever, and you're a woman. And, and I was like, maybe, uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, I know that whenever anybody starts trolling me, I block them. It is the only, it's like if I ran a comedy club, if I could kick the heckler out immediately, yeah, it would be what I would do. So if you're on my Facebook and you don't like my politics, uh, there's no reason for us to continue. Yeah. Uh, we can wrap it up and you can go yell into a different piece of wind. Because uh, I am I I might try to have, uh, I, I will do two times. 
I'll go back and forth, I'll go back and forth. And then I'll realize that you're either a button pusher or you're a moron. Right. And I don't have time. I can't. I will change the world this way. I will change the world by trying to be polite in real life and affect change one at a time. I can't do it. I mean, Three it strikes you out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Two last bits I want to talk about. Okay. And then I can send you on your way back into the cold. Into the world. I've made a, a metaphor in comics that... And I brought it up earlier that, you know, there are different factions of comics. We've talked about it. There's your, your oh. indie comics. There's your navel-gazing comics. <laughs> there's your superhero mainstream yeah. stuff. There's your licensed stuff. So I've, I've created this metaphor that it's like a high school. Okay. And there's your cool kids. Yep. You know, your varsity and your cheerleaders. And then there's the, the kids under the bleachers. Right. Smoking their weed. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And then there's the band. Sure. Who are just, they're very good at what they do. But they're <laughs> sort of ignored. Right. Treated as, you know, and then there's your nerds and all. Does that exist in comedy it so exists in comedy and how does it break down well new york is i can see it better here because i don't live here so when okay. i come to new york to do stand-up comedy you said it yourself i'm not doing any of the club clubs because yeah. those are those are established comics that work the road that have like the comedy cellar, for example. Right. The cellar, Caroline's, Gotham. Right. Yeah. The comedy cellar it's specifically. Well, that's got the table. It's got the table. Yeah. Fuck the table. <laughs> the table sounds like more work than I want to be part of. A girl wants to be asked. I'm not of saying course. I don't want to go up at the cellar. I was there for a podcast a couple of days ago, and I walk in. I, I got there early. I have a cold. So I go into the olive restaurant thing that's attached and i get some chili and i sit there and i'm and i text and i say i'm early the bathroom for the restaurant is in the comedy club okay. which is the dumbest backwards way of having the bathroom hello new york whatever but so i go down and i get to see the room and whenever you see a new room in stand-up comedy you think oh, I don't go. and it's really hard to get up at the comedy cellar the woman who books it is supposed to be very fair and very nice, but she needs two established comics who work there to vouch for you. Interesting. And she also is known because there's so much comics. I think it's an actual it's a it's a really good policy. She likes to book from within. She likes to book from the the pool of New York comics, people who live here. Sure. So, because I don't live here, I've never tried. If I lived here, I would want to be one of those cool kids, but those guys are essentially the burnouts. <laughs> Those guys are under the bleacher kind of guys, even if half of them are in recovery and half of them are, you know, 50 years old or 60 years old. Right. You know, it's Seinfeld and Chris Rock and Louis C.K. and, and Rich Voss and Jim Norton. Sure. And all the you know, guys that were on Colin Quinn's show, all the guys that were on Colin Quinn's show and all the guys that were in Chris Rock's movie. And yeah. and that show up on Louis, obviously. I mean, they and film the at that Louis. table. So right. It's, it's right. Right there. Yeah. And and it's. And those guys are kind of the burnouts, right? And then the there's Hannibal Burris's show in Williamsburg, and there's Wyatt Cenac's show in wherever that is in Brooklyn, yeah, like Gowanus uh, Night Train, yeah. and uh, and then and there's Cabin, right. and there's sort of the cool kids shows. That the, are new the new version of Luna Lounge, the new version of Luna Lounge, that are alternative is. venues. Yeah. And they can be more storytelling. They can be more weirdo stuff. And those are more the cool kids. Like uh, Christian has QED. Christian Finnegan? Christian Finnegan okay. and his wife, Cambry, 
have something in Queens that okay. is super cool now. Creek in the Cave is in Queens Creek in the well. Cave also. Yeah. Those are kind of coolie, coolie cools. And uh, <laughs> um, the cool, cool <laughs> kids. And then the band and the up and coming, which I want to do all of them. Right. Everyone does. You know, in 97, K.P. Anderson, 98, uh, K.P. Anderson, who's the executive producer on The Soup. Okay. Stand-up comic from Minneapolis. Very successful. Always has been. Very funny. Always has been. Very successful. Uh, said to me, I want to get up at Largo. I can't get up at Largo. How come I can't get up at Largo? What the hell is alternative comedy? And I said, I don't know. I'm not certain. They like me, but as far as I can tell, they like my brand of comedy, which is where I tell the story of how I came up with the joke, and then I tell the punchline. <laughs> and so what I write, because he would just write a joke like a person. Yeah. And <laughs> I tell the story of how I wrote the joke, and then tell the punchline. So the, the, that's the first draft of every freaking joke I've ever written. But the stand, I don't know if you've been to the stand. I have not yet. It is a wonderful comedy club. It is a nice, nice, it is sort of the band, sort of alty, and sort of cool kid. It's where they all meet, and whoever owns that joint, I met Christine again last night, whoever's booking it is doing a very, very good thing. It is comic-friendly, which the comedy seller, the door guys were not. Huh. They were they were kind of grumpy, and they were like, mm, I don't know, who do you know? And you're like, uh, okay, a little bit of power going to your head. <laughs> Curse of a government job, my friend. And Harold and Mom. Anyway, but the stand, super supportive. And they let young comics hang out. They let people go in for free. There's no two-drink minimum, which I think is an interesting business choice. They, want, they might want to do some sort of minimum. I but, know they have that restaurant upstairs, so maybe that's Yeah. And the, the, the restaurant was nice. I had, I had a weird thing last night. I had cheeseburger pot stickers. All right. That's, that's, I believe it. Yeah. It was, they tasted exactly like what you would think they were. They, it was a, what it was. A, it was a waste. With- of a thousand calories. It was perfectly tasty, but I am in the greatest food city in the world and I had fucking cheeseburger pot stickers for dinner. Whatever. Only in New York. Only in New York. Turns out, <laughs> probably could have had it in Des Moines. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so it, there's definitely those clicks. And there's so, definitely. So, it, so that manifests in the clubs. That manifests in the different in the in, venues. In, it breaks it up in the okay. venue. It, yeah, it tends to break up per venue. So people can. Because for some reason, the name that's popping in my head, I'm just curious, because I don't know him, but I think he's hysterically funny. He's been funny for years. It's Ted Alexandro. That poor guy. How does he do it? No, that guy is so fucking he's funny. so funny. He's the, he is a treat. But he where is, does he... Like, where anywhere does he, he wants to. Like He seems to me what Brian Regan was 10 years ago, which is hilariously funny. Nobody ever... He never came up in conversations outside of... He had that one album right. that everyone quoted... And he would show up every now and again on Opie and Anthony when he was doing a set at Caroline's. He's incredibly well respected. And you tour with him, which is like has Regan now, or you or Brian Regan. Oh, I thought you were talking about Ted. Well, we're, yeah, okay. we're gonna, we're, I was yeah, just we'll circling get to around. Ted. Yeah, I just started tr- uh, touring with like, Brian that's Regan. Like, I'm now one degree from from Brian, Brian Regan, Regan, which is crazy. Uh, let me tell you about Brian Regan. He is a wonderful person. He is a guy much like you want to be as as you as you, you were talking about patience and, and learning things as you get older. He's a guy that works very hard on being courteous and because he's incredibly successful. Yeah. <laughs> like when the one of the first gigs I did with him was at the Long Beach Performing Arts Center. 
the PAC at, at Long Beach, I pull up in my 2003 Toyota Corolla where the paint is peeling and there's a fountain in front of it that has lights. Just a giant fountain with lights. It's like Lincoln Center. Sure. You pull up and I park and I'm laughing as I go back and it's the second time I've worked with him. And I've only worked with him five times this year. It's been amazing. It's a learning experience watching him work. But I walk into the Long Beach uh, PAC and I'm, I'm kind of laughing and shaking my head and he goes, what's funny, Jackie? And I said, your career. Your career is hilarious. And he goes, things are going well. It's true. But he has, he makes a point to meet people. He makes a point to be polite. He can't, he doesn't do meet and greets. Like, because there's too many people. Yeah. There are 1,200 to 3,000. At the end of his sets. The greatest move of anyone. If Chappelle did it. It's unbelievable. No one would ever heckle him again. Because what, what Brian Regan gets to do is he gets to do his hour. And then he comes right back out because what, as an opener, when you open for him, you do 20 minutes. Okay. 15 to 20. You go out, you do the 15 to 20, you introduce him. He does an hour, the hour that he wants to do, that yeah. he's working on. And then he comes off and you go back out and then you say, do you want to see some more? And he said, it's an encore. It's not an encore. Please do not make them stand or do anything. It's just a, it's, it's a delin, it, to, to delineate. Yeah, it's a commercial break. Commercial break to when now they get to yell stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> so he comes back out and he does five to 15 minutes right. of requests. Big yellow into the sun. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. He said the, the only sad thing is that uh, people can't, there are some bits that people want to hear, but the, they're too long. They're too hard to describe in three words. <laughs> The one where you're at the thing with the book. Donut lady. Yeah. Two words. Yeah. Two words. Okay, so to Ted. To Ted Alexandro, who is much like Brian Regan, because people also don't know who Brian Regan is. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's this guy who's so funny, and I've seen him for years. Right. So to my metaphor, would he be somebody who's in the band who's, like, so technically adept, so good, does the job, but nobody... Does he just not get the regard? Does everybody in comedy regard him as like, yeah, Ted Alexandro, of course. Everybody in comedy, he's incredibly okay. well respected. It's he hasn't like been Reagan. on WTF. It doesn't It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense <laughs> that he hasn't been on WTF. That's weird. It is. He's been on a live show, but he's never been Oh, probably it's just garage. scheduling, probably. Okay. Because that's one of the biggest problems is everybody's scheduled because Ted lives here right. and Mark lives in LA. Right. I'd like to do the garage again. I don't know if anyone has done the garage twice. I don't know if he's had anybody twice. I mean, Todd Glass, but that was a but special I'm sure circumstance. He, Todd Glass probably strong-armed his way in. Of course. Uh, I, love I have something Glass. to say. Put Todd me on the I, show. I need, I've been trying to get Todd Glass on the Dork Forest. He only did a live episode. Which was funny. Which was hilarious. Yeah. But how great would it be an hour about table settings? Just let him go? Yeah. yeah. It'd be the greatest event. He does a bit where he just does a, a list, and it's the, the wiping thing. Oh, okay. And he just starts running through things that are clean up. Oh. And he just like. He is uh, he is the, my favorite OCD. He is the <laughs> most wonderful. It's just a treat to even work anywhere that he was just there. Because right. everything is set perfectly. <laughs> the lighting, the curtains, the music. The best thing is I've heard him do that rant a bunch of times because I listen yeah. to his podcast. And then to hear other comedians say, no, he's right. He's 100% right. Every time he's, you go into a room, he's right. No, yeah, <laughs> nobody else is willing to take the bullet on it. That's the problem. <laughs> One of my favorite stories is uh, him and Rory Scoble doing Whiplash last year when okay. I was here. He didn't want to close. He made Rory Scoble close. And then he heckled Rory Scoble from the audience. And Rory riffed, and they riffed, and they riffed. And then finally, Todd says, okay, Rory, you can do my closer if you want. And Rory goes, well, Todd, I'm not actually comfortable with the N-word. Oh, God, and that must have said Todd. 
jumping up and down. <laughs> he could not stop hopping. He was like, no, no, people are going to, people are going to think, people are going to think I just do, I don't have a bit that's about, I wouldn't. Oh my God, I couldn't it's stop great. laughing. <laughs> that's so good. So funny. But Ted Alexandro should be, uh, there should be a statue. Uh, the guy's so amazing. Good. And then he's like, active, socially active, but like the guy never stops. Yeah, he's super smart. Oh my, he's He's, awesome. he's essentially like, I, Bill Burr always makes me he laugh. He's amazing, yeah. Right. Ted Alexandro is that. Yeah. There's no reason why Ted Alexandro should not be Bill Burr. But Bill Burr is great. And yeah. I love Bill Burr's acting, quite honestly. I think he's he does a really nice job as that Goomba dude. He was that, been on Breaking um, Bad, yeah. He was on Breaking Bad. He was in The Heat. That's right. He uh, was in The Heat. Yeah, he's he's been getting some work. And there's no reason not to book that guy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Ted Alexandro, that's my thing about the percentage of people that you meet is yeah. amazing. We're in a golden age of stand-up comedy and I think comic books. Yeah. Just because of the availability, just because of the access. I think there's, it's harder to, to get lost in some bad stuff in comics, but I think comics can be super, I mean, no, it's just as subjective as comedy. It's as subjective because, because it's all so different. Yeah. There's so much great weird one-off-y kind of stuff going yeah. on. And I, you know, I read, she-hulk and iron man and two different deadpools and you know <laughs> I, uh, and then moon knight that warren ellis moon knight yeah i didn't read that it was good each one was its own right was, they were one shots and it was awesome and now i think brian wood is writing it and it's great but it's more it's more regular marvel yeah but i i read so much marvel it is it's obscene it's a little it's a little obscene. you read literally Probably 100% more than I do. What about DC? The only thing I was reading was Animal Man, and then it fell apart. DC, well, so I have this weird rule in my own head that I don't like spending $4 an issue for a mainstream oh. comic book. Okay. Weird that you make a living doing comics and you're unwilling to spend $4 an issue. <laughs> it's a weird, only for the mainstream, only for Marvel and DC. Okay. Like, I'll buy other smaller publishers. Right. There was a time where... The independent books cost more than the than the oh okay the mainstream books and that, and that is, is now flipped. Image books are cheaper than Marvel books, which seems that just doesn't work out in my head. Right. In a way that makes any sense. Right, because uh, they they're bigger. They're bigger. They should be able to mass produce better. Yeah, but their circulations are higher. Right, they're doing a thing though. There's a whole bunch of stuff going there's, on. There's there's some strong arming going on that Carl yeah. Rove would be very proud of yeah. them. Yes, there's Aspects. a lot of rack space uh, dominance and. I think Roxxon is real. <laughs> anyway. It might be. And the Magia. <laughs> so at DC, what do I buy? By Fables. Hinterkind, which I'm on the fence. Yeah. I'm reading it, but I'm reading I it, sort of go back and forth. Right. I just, uh, uh, and then I buy the new Batgirl. It's been good. Oh, has it? Yeah. I wait, like wait. it. Wait, wait. Is it Gail Simone? No, no. no. Post-Gail Simone. I just Cameron picked Stewart. up Secret Six. That's what I just picked okay. up. Her new Secret Six yeah. run. Gotham Academy is okay. Gotham Academy I'm reading. Yeah. That's pretty oh. good. There you go. And then I'm reading Aquaman because I like Jeff Parker. Is Jeff Parker writing Aquaman? Jeff Parker's writing Aquaman. He's writing it very much in a it's a superhero comic. Yeah. Which I like. I buy the occasional issue of Batman sixty six. Right. Depending who's working on it. I have a friend who who I mean, I know it's easy to hate Aquaman, but the level that this guy mocks Aquaman is kind of fun. And my my take on Aquaman, it's a similar take I have for Wonder Woman and Batman, most superheroes, is mm -hmm. When you get to the point where you start making fun of the character for having underwear on the outside okay. or being Aquaman, yeah. step away from superheroes. Like, they're not for you anymore. <laughs> 
go read a Vertigo book. Go right. read something from Fanagraphics. Right. And then when you start to get to like 36, mm-hmm. go back and read. You're going to want to feel that. The joy. That joy. Yes. And you're not going to want to read Watchmen. You're going to want to read an Aquaman comic where he right. talks to a fish. Where he talks to a fish. Yeah. He gets some information. It's great. From a fish. From a fish. Or That's an octopus. You know, any of the right. any undersea dwellers. A lot of undersea dwellers. Can he talk to coral? Any idea? No, I don't. Because I don't think coral has any sentience. Okay, there you go. Or yeah. They could in the comic book world, though. I know when Peter David wrote Aquaman, his whole bit was like the sharks were real dumb. Oh. Like he would try to talk to sharks and they were just like one track. I love Peter David. He wrote a lot of Aquaman. Did he? Yeah. Okay. In the 90s. I um, loved X-Factor weeded off on me for a second there, and now it's back with a vengeance. It's good, but I hear it's ending or something. I yeah, I believe know. it is also ending. But for years with Madrox, I loved X-Factor, and then his Daredevil was amazing, and I liked Brubaker's Daredevil. Uh, I might be a fan of Ed Brubaker. You might be. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. You mentioned Deadpool. Yes. And Brian that, Posehn. That brings to mind Brian Posehn and... We're, we're going to... Jerry Dugan. Jerry Dugan, yeah. Dugan. Or Dugan, Dugan, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, me neither. But this is going to take us into the last topic. Okay. Which is the the, the literal crossover of comics and I want to write comics. That was the question. Oh my God, I want to write comics. But... So, is there a part... So this is going to be like... Do you want to do stand-up? I, I would not ne- I, I don't think I could. Oh, no? Oh, I'm not wired You only need it. three jokes. I'm not wired to be in front of a group like that. If okay. it's not If it's not a panel at a comic convention. You need a table? <laughs> I'd like a dais or a table. And I'd like to have other people there with me. All right. But the All idea right. of being on stage with a spotlight yeah. and saying anything sincere sh- like sends me into like shivers. Oh. Yeah. All right. I'm not a performer. Okay. Contrary to what's happening were, right here, right. Contrary to what's what's going on right here, yeah. You're an artist, and but you don't. So you don't want to do stand up. No, I I sometimes come up with jokes. Okay. I did a comic. I do have this idea of doing a comic of a stand up routine. Okay. Like panel by panel jokes. Yeah, yeah. You could. That's that's a way to manage. Yeah, I've done it. one. I'll show it to you after we, okay. we're done recording. And it's interesting because so much of it is timing, mm-hmm. and you're going panel by panel. So like, how does it work? It's an interesting experiment in terms of creating a comic book. Mm-hmm. So. This brings up the question, and this might be a little projection on my side, but you love comics. You're vocal about it. You're a funny person. Yeah. Headlining clubs everywhere. You you know people. Yeah. And the people you know are certainly connected to this world. So Chris Hardwick is like the king of all things nerdy. Right. To the point where is anybody else allowed to be right. in the nerdy world? Right. Brian Posehn is writing Deadpool, among yep. other things. Acker and Blacker. Acker are now Blacker. writing comics. You get a chance to see Ben Acker. Uh, I don't know. It's got to be which. Ben Acker. <laughs> it's a uh, Ben Acker has the greatest Wonder Woman pitch ever. If you ever get him on here, okay, it's the best. So, has, does anyone ever reach out to you? Any editors ever tweet at you? Not at this time. I am available if anyone's listening. I don't. I and that dovetails into your writing fiction, right? So, how do you how do you combine those things? If you want to have written fiction. Right. I want to have written fiction. I want to have done comic books. Yeah. I want uh, what I think. I This is how I picture Brian Posehn getting to write Deadpool. Jerry Dugan does it. Sure. <laughs> Where they sit together and Jerry Dugan teaches him how to do it. Sure. And that's how I picture Brian Posehn doing it. Though Brian Posehn and Patton both did Goon. Yeah. They both did goons. And Brian did with Jerry. They did the the Christmas, the Christmas last thing. Christmas thing, right? And Patton has written some stuff. And Patton's written the JLA, right? And and it was interesting because I would, yeah, I would like to do it. And my, you know, and and the thing is, is my husband 
still desperately wants to do comic books, but doesn't do them. I right. mean, we we have the same because he has a full time job making video games, sure. <laughs> and I have a full time job making comedy. But we have we have storyboarded out a little bit of an idea because we live in Los Angeles. We live right in front of essentially a drainage ditch off of the L.A. River okay. called the Pacoima Wash. Oh, nice! And uh, sounds so genteel, doesn't it? Yes. Doesn't it? Say, it sounds like dancing, but it isn't. It's a, it's a place uh, where people like to throw tires. Anyway, but we have this idea of of a little world that would actually live there. And that it would be a, it would be kind of a, like a, not a hinter kind or a fably kind of thing, but it would be more of a fairy world and, and those people's, and it would be a fairy tale. And right. so we've written on it and then weeded off and then written on it and weeded off. But we, you know, we have that, the book by Scott, what's his face of how to understand comics. Yeah. Sure. With, yeah. That's, that's like graduate level. Right, comic book. Uh, Ira Glass has a has a how to podcast comic book. That's, Does he really? Yeah, that's essentially so dense. I had to throw it away. I love understanding comics is great. Yeah, his two follow ups get more and more even denser. Well, just like more um, obtuse, and you're like, wait, what's he talking about right now? Yeah, uh, understanding comics is great though. It is, but good. it's it's the sort of thing where, like, he's he's analyzing. There has to be an idiot version. There's probably a, a, probably one of those books. I mean, a lot of it is osmosis of having read comics. You probably understand a lot of it. Yeah. And then there's a book by Will Eisner called Comics and Sequential Art. Okay. Which is really good. Okay. Uh, and it's it's much more text. It's like a textbook almost. Yeah. But it's it's solid. Is there a workbook? Is there a... <laughs> I mean, well, how great would that be? Is if you're like, you got an idea? I got a template. And uh, That's a good question. I mean, there's like How to Draw Comics to Marvel Way, which is sort of entry level more for right. superhero stuff. Which, which I love. That was great. I gave that to my nephew, who is now currently an artist. Fantastic. And yeah. uh, and I reminded him that he was like, "You gave me that?" Because I said, "Yeah, you were ten, and you were like, it's too hard, it's too hard." And I said, "But you're not always going to be ten, weirdo." And uh, I, mean, I mean, really, the best template is the internet. Yeah. I mean, there are enough writers out there who post their scripts or post, and there are enough artists that are right. posting their layouts. Right, right. Where you can almost it takes a little effort. Right, right. You got to compile it. But, you got to get you know, it together. You that just... would be an interesting site, an aggregate of all the yeah. lesson plans from everybody. Yep. But yeah, there's definitely ways to do it. I encourage anybody listening to this to reach out to Jackie. She's on Jackie Twitter. JackieJackieCation.com yeah. is my email address. I'll put Attainable a link in the goal. show notes. Yeah. She's got ideas. She's funny. But right. she doesn't have to write a funny comic. No, no. It could be poignant. You don't poignant? know. Poignant with Consider a hard G. a romance comic by Jackie. <laughs> Who's done her share of romance <laughs> reading? It's it's funny people. I do that romance novel bit, which I also enjoy a great deal. But they people are like, I got a great romance novel. I was like, I don't know how to tell you this, but you can't pick romance novels for people, and I, it's too much crap. It'd be like if I tried to turn someone from a Spencer for Hire novel into like a Patterson novel. I was like, well, if you like Spencer for Hire, you're gonna love Patterson. They're like, nope. No, I'm not. I'm just glad I know what those two things are, having right? never read them. And having never read either of those two yeah. items. But I know well, there was a show. Yep. And I've seen James Patterson's name. At an airport. <laughs> at, at the very least. Jackie, this was awesome. Thanks for having me, Greg. This is great. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you thought it was as entertaining as I did. I have to thank Jackie again for giving so much of her time. We certainly went longer than I said we'd go. And yeah, anyway, 
in that long conversation, we mentioned a lot of comedians' names. And if you go to StuffSaidShow.com, the website for this show, if you're not already there, the show notes are thorough. Pretty much every single comedian we mentioned is named with a link to their site so you can check everybody out. Please enjoy that. There's clips up there. There's all kinds of stuff up there. Or on there? Up on the web? On the web? Does it matter? It doesn't. Go to StuffSaidShow.com and you can check all that out in the show notes. You can also listen to all past episodes of the show. You can donate any amount you want to support this show or say thanks for this episode or past episodes or future episodes or whatever. And I encourage you to sign up for my mailing list on that website where on the first of the month, there's a newsletter that goes out and it will tell you who the guest is for that month's show, tell you other things that I have going on. Also on the website, you can leave comments. You can email me through the site or just directly at stuffsaid at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at Greg Schiegel, G-R-E-G-G-S-C-H-I-G-I-E-L. The show is not just that that site is on iTunes as well, and I encourage you to subscribe and rate and review the show. Please give it five stars, and if you can't think of what to say in a review because you don't want to have to think of what to write, write one of these two things. Write either it's all iteration or write one person, one mic, and one person, one pen. So go ahead and do that, and I'd say thank you in advance. Stuff Said is also available via the Acme Wave Projector Network at acmewaveprojector.com, which has all kinds of other podcasts on there. And speaking of podcasts, have you listened to my other show, Cruising Together? The question mark isn't actually on the show. That was just me ending the, the question if you've listened to it. But the show is called Cruising Together, and you should listen to it. It is not about comics at all, which might be a plus or a minus, but it is hosted by myself and a fellow cartoonist. Chris G. Russo, and we are talking about Tom Cruise movies in order. We're watching them all, and we're talking about them unless we get off track on a tangent, which happens. We think it's entertaining. We think it's funny. Hope you do, too. You should check it out. And like Stuff Said, it is free. It is on iTunes. Just search Cruising Together and enjoy it. I mentioned at the top of the show my book, Picks One Weirdest Weekend, I gave Jackie a copy as a thank you for coming on the show, and she said as she was reading it, it was quote-unquote adorbs. So, see for yourself. Go to PixComic.com. You can read the first chapter for free. You could check the whole thing out, or the first chapter, and look around. If you buy it directly from me at PixComic.com store and enter in the code Jackie, you will get 20% off the paperback or the digital PDF or the paperback PDF combo pack. This offer is good until April 15th, 2015, a.k.a. the next episode of Stuff Said. So, use it or lose it. The theme song for Stuff Said is composed and performed by Craig Chin, who you can find at rudeanagrams.com. For more about me and everything I just mentioned, just go to hatterentertainment.com, H-A-T-T-E-R entertainment.com. That's about all the stuff I have left to say. See you next time.